Wrestling Federation proudly presents WrestleMania! The WWF champion, Ric Flair, defends the title against the number one contender, the Macho Man, Randy Savage! The maniacal Sid Justice goes one-on-one with the immortal Hulk Hogan! And what could prove to be Hulk Hogan's farewell match? It's a double main event! It's WrestleMania! Welcome to Indianapolis, Indiana! Welcome to the Hoosier Dome! Welcome to WrestleMania 8! Hello everyone, I'm Gorilla Monson along with Bobby DeBrain Heenan. In addition to the unprecedented double main event here, all the gold in the WWF is up for grabs. Reigning Intercontinental Champion, Rowdy Roddy Piper faces the former champion, Brett Dutton. What are you looking for? I'm looking for those big centerfold pinup pictures of Elizabeth that Ric Flair promised to show on those big screens. Don't start! WWF Tag Team bounce up for grabs as well as Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister face the natural disasters. And how on earth will Jake the Snake Roberts survive The Undertaker? I think The Undertaker is digging his own grave. Here we go down the ringside. So then earlier we get some footage of Sean Mooney talking to Jake Roberts. Roberts says that Jack Tunney won't allow him to bring his pet to the ring. So we've got no snake with Jake Roberts today, which is lovely. Then we see footage of Taker's hand being stuck in a coffin and Roberts DDTing Paul Bearer and then Roberts hitting Taker with a steel chair and Roberts then cutting a little bit of a promo. I didn't get much of what he said, but I did think to myself, my goodness, Jay Roberts is an amazing heel. Yeah. And I again, I always remember the, the anguish, going through the anguish of watching this segment on the video of WrestleMania 8 with The Undertaker's hand being stuck in the coffin and not being able to pull it out and just being like, no, don't, not Paul, don't hit Paul with the DDT. Oh, he's hit him with the DDT. Oh, no. Hey. Yeah, what what guy? What guy Jake Roberts is? Oh, Jake, oh my God, this promo as well with Sean Mooney. Just sweat. The, my goodness, the, the, the amount he's sweating is outrageous. He must have been off his head. I the other week, so last week we went to, we had like a, a meetup with our NCT group, and I've got a little bit of a taste recently for Prosecco. And I don't know why it's just happened. I think I like the fizz, I like the bubbles, but I don't like the bloating, which you get from beers, which is why I'm back on the beers now, obviously. And I uh, I think my, my, my love affair with Prosecco ran very hot, but very fast and burnt out very brightly because on it was Wednesday night we had a meet up I drank quite a bit of Prosecco and the next day I felt as worse as I felt for years and I could not stop sweating the whole day I, just, I was in an absolute state and I was like I reckon Jake Roberts had a big night on the fizz the night before because that's the only way to explain how much he was sweating big night on the Prosecco yeah exactly him and the girls out having a couple of Prosecco it's a lovely old job it is a great shame that Jake Roberts' heel ride in WWE didn't last very long, based on this um, evidence, because as I said, I thought he was just tremendous, and we didn't see an awful lot of him, but I thought he was tremendous. So sinister. Mm. He'd been at the bottom of brunch, hadn't he? <laughs> <laughs> what, with his NCT group, do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, who invited him? And then like, I don't know, he's just here. <laughs> we, did, we, we removed him from the WhatsApp group, but he still found us. <laughs> I didn't like him, he sweats too much. That's what they say about me. <laughs>
Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review and today we extrapolate a whole lot of stuff from Wrestlemania 8, arguably the first Wrestlemania with a genuine double main event. As our coverage of every Wrestlemania continues, last week on New Year's Day we reposted our Wrestlemania 7 episode that was originally recorded way back in March of 2021 and now we move ever onward. Joining me today is Tom Smith. Hey! What the, thank you, what date is this going out on? January the 8th. January 8th? Oh, my late nan's birthday. Happy oh. birthday, Nan. So the Chris, there isn't an episode coming out over Christmas then? Or there is, at WrestleMania 6? Yes. Christmas oh, Day. Christmas Day. What a gift. What Christmas a gift. Day, Christmas Day was WrestleMania 6. New Year's Day was WrestleMania 7. Repost. And this yeah. is WrestleMania 8. One oh. week out. Santa's been good to you listeners this year. He's, I, I, he's unleashed his sack all over you. You know what? Strangely about well, when you said Jan, when I said January the 8th, I was like, hang on, wait a minute. That date means something to me. And then I realized it's simply the anniversary of a job that I started in 2007. That's all it is. Really? Well, I'll tell you what, Tiki, is, is it, I've got a beer in my hand now. Here's to, here's to your job in January the 8th, 2007. Go on, it was quite, I, weirdly, it was quite important because I had a pretty down six months prior to that. And it was kind of part of a new start that, that year that I was trying to make. So it's why it stands out in my head. It was a Monday as well, that, that particular year. And also, God, we've got him for a moment there. We have the uh, the polar bear who thawed a little last week in terms of his perhaps polarity towards, certainly to me anyway, Matt Roberts. You know, gents, maybe the nickname will have to, maybe it'll have to change at some point. Who knows? But, uh, you know, hi and January 8th means absolutely fuck all to me. But hey, <laughs> hope you're all having a good new year so far. There's a, I think of Matt quite regularly actually because there's a, a book that I read to my daughter. It's actually a, it's a waterproof book that you read in the bath, and it's about a mysterious polar bear who steals <laughs> spots and stripes from various other spotted and striped animals and gives all of them back apart from one. It's very, it's very interesting. I think of Matt every now and again. <laughs> Talking of baby-related wrestling stuff, I've been thinking about saying this a long, a, a number of times. I just keep forgetting. So basically, when I put our son to bed we, we kind of got into this routine now of where we put him down he doesn't quite go to sleep so we kind of give him give him some pats just to keep him to kind of get him off to sleep basically and once you get to a point where he's kind of asleep enough i i sort of just back off a little bit and wait a certain amount of time just yep. to make sure he's actually asleep because the number of times you get out the door and then starts yep. crying you're back and, um, and it breaks your soul doesn't it, it? does it absolutely <laughs> breaks your soul and what i do is i have a little game on myself so we've got this thing it's called a ewan I don't know if um, any of our listeners will be a, 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 a aware of it. It's basically a little sheep that has various white noises that it plays to the baby automatically if the baby starts to make noise so that it kind of lulls it back to sleep. And the one we use is it's got two kind of sounds to it at the same time it's got like the heartbeat sound and it's got like a shushing sound all at the same time and the shushing sound is a much more methodical thing and the heartbeats kind of bump 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 whereas the shush is kind of shh what i do is i count the shushes to 10 as if we're in a last man standing match <laughs> every time and i pretend silently that i'm earl hebner going one <laughs> it's it's Two. <laughs> it's the it's, only way to cut through the absolute tension of that moment where i'm like oh this has got to work so i need to go back to sleep 
when when baby shinsky was very young the thing that i used to do which always made me think of wrestling when i was putting head to bed was like the uh the rest hold arm drop test i wouldn't do it three times because then you just dice in you know <laughs> dice, you're not dicing with fire because you can't cut through fire but you know what i mean dicing with death seems a bit extreme playing extreme extreme playing with fire is what i meant is <laughs> so you play with fire so just do the one and i pretend that it's the third one and that if it goes down and she stays asleep then i'm like get in get in before we get into WrestleMania 8 I wanted to quickly ask you, speak to you guys about something um, that I meant to on the last episode, so you'll have to forgive me. Here's a new a new bonus feature for the Random Wrestling Review, which is Tom's Book Club. And I mentioned to you guys that I had been listening to Bob Holly's audiobook. Yes. Right? I, I listened to it seven hours long, I think it is, wow. in a day. <laughs> I It is absolutely wonderful. It is an absolutely incredible book. Now, it's not made me think any higher of Bob Holly because the man's an absolute ass. But it, I cannot recommend anybody enough to either listen to or read this book because it is phenomenal. The bitterness and the grumpiness that he has. Every single person, with the exception of Steve Blackman, he slags off. It's phenomenal. It's there's there's a bit in it where he gets really annoyed at Mick Foley and Al Snow for leaving it a fun leaving him at a fun fair, <laughs> which is just which is wonderful stuff. It's like every every time the the amount of times you, if you were to get like a a transcribe of the of the book, if you could search for the phrase that pissed me off, then it would be there more than any other phrase in the book, and it's tremendous. The other thing that I like about it is that he seems to have this opinion that everyone always comes around to if they have if he has a disagreement with anyone everyone comes around to his point of view and acknowledges that he is actually amazing so it's like every single argument he's like he's like well you're right bob you were right all along and it's so like it's so alan partridge it's unbelievable needless to say i had the last laugh pretty much in every single anecdote there's an incredible anecdote that he spends talking about an entire chapter is dedicated to his he's got like a racing bike and like a quad bike or something like that in his house in alabama and an entire chapter goes on about how it got stolen he spends an entire chapter about his bike and his quad bike that got nicked and how he goes out in the woods at night in his pants to hunt them it's just it's phenomenal (laughs) it is an incredible listen slash read so if anybody's got an audible account and they've got a spare credit don't know what to do with it pop it on that as well because it's not narrated by bob holly but it's narrated by someone who's really grumpy so it's perfect it's an absolutely amazing listen and incredibly we're one of the few podcasts who don't have any kind of affiliation with audio (laughs) or audible so uh, you know um, we can't help you with that one i've actually as you know, Tom, I read this in 2013. I've, I've realized I wrote a review for it for a website called Cult of Whatever. It used to be called uh, something wrestling. Can't remember what it was. Some, it was a wrestling only site. Now it's kind of a bit of everything. And I, I don't remember it quite the same as you, but and I was reading my review of it. And it, obviously that hasn't come across. But I also thought it was great. I thought it was a really good read. I thought it was really interesting. Lots of lots of interesting stuff. I think what I've kind of what I can remember about it is that he is kind of unique in that he is one of the few wrestlers that was with the company from the new generation period right the way through the attitude era right the way all the way quite deep into 2000s like 2006 2007 so saw all of the monday night war saw the benoit tragedy saw the guerrero tragedy from within inside the company and isn't likely to need or get any employment from the WWE in the future because he's not really a big enough name. He's never going to likely be expecting that employment. So 
it felt like a really kind of unique insight that you're not going to get many other places because ultimately everyone's either pulling their punches because they don't want to fall out with WWE too much or haven't been there for the tenure of time that that he had. So I, that in that respect, that really stuck out to me was this guy can actually can unload because there are just there's just nothing to stop him from doing so. He's done everything he's going to do in wrestling. He's not going to go back. He's not going to have a big WrestleMania push against someone. So, you know, yeah, why not? Go for it. Maybe you should. I'd love that. Uh, what I like to put that into context, he got anecdotes spanning Riley Savage to Cody Rhodes. Do you know what I mean? There, there's yeah. there's a big gap there. It is it is really really entertaining. Triple H, my God, he gives a couple of fucking. He gives he gives he don't give both barrels. He gives every single barrel in the world to Triple H. Apart from he tells one story about when they were in like Germany or something like that, and he paid for everyone's dinner. And he's like, oh, that was a really good thing to do from Triple H. He was a stand up guy, but he was a prick. <laughs> yeah. So so this time. is. This is um this is one of the quotes from my review. Holly gives praise and scathing criticism in equal measure, waxing lyrical about a particular person's work before laying into their personality. Don't get me wrong, Holly is not a bitter man. Far from it. He has plenty of complimentary things to say about many people and is thankful to the WWE for allowing him to make a good living and keeping him under its employ for such a long time. But nothing is sugarcoated or dressed up as something it wasn't. So as I said, I'm not, I've quite got the same impression of bitterness that you have, Tom, but... Uh, yeah, there you go. I think the, the other thing that is, is that he seems to have a massively overinflated opinion of his own self-importance because it's like he's got a really high moral standards. And if you don't meet or standards, if you don't meet them, then he's absolutely just hates you and has no time for you. And he also is definitely misremembering certain moments because he basically talks about how massively over he was. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's like, I don't, I mean, maybe during the, the, the you know, the team with, the, you know, Crash Holly and like, I think he was probably reasonably over to an extent, but I'd still probably go that Crash Holly was more over than him. And then the scales were probably more over than both of them that Crash Holly used to carry around. So he does have a massively inflated, yeah, self-opinion, but it is, it is a cracking listen. I'd recommend it to anyone. I would rather step on multiple layers of brick Lego barefoot than ever read something that has anything to do with Bob Harley. He it's- honestly, I would genuinely say th- I would challenge anyone to not enjoy this book. It's actually yeah. very, very good, especially if you're a wrestling fan. Yeah, and if somebody I- would like to gift it to me free of charge. That's great. I am not going to be spending any of my own money on anything to do with that. I hate that man. Challenge accepted. As I said, I thought I, I don't like him any more than I did before. I certainly not going to be like, you know, he's a stand up guy. I still think he's an absolute tit, but it's just a very, very entertaining book. And especially when I kind of about two or three chapters in started basically thinking that he's Alan Partridge as, as I read it. I enjoyed it even more. So, yeah, cracking. Anyway, that's my book club. For ah. this episode. So we're going to get that every single episode book. you're on. Fuck no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It might be like once every, you know, three years, perhaps. Well, I look forward to it in 2026 then when we are ah. still going. So WrestleMania 8, point. guys. We're at WrestleMania 8. We, we've we made it this far. We're going to keep going. The Hoosier Dome, Indianapolis, Indiana, Indiana. I've commented before that I think this is kind of this year is kind of like the transitional period between the rock and wrestling peak years of the wwe and then the new generation this is kind of the transitional year for me it's kind of in between the two and i'm quite looking forward to talking about because i think there's lots to talk about first of all though obviously our expectations let's start with you matt i'm glad you mentioned that about it um feeling like a bit of a transitional period because that's probably one of the main things that i picked up on after watching this is that 
that this definitely felt like a different show and you know it felt like it was going into a new era compared to all the ones that, that we've seen so far so I, I was definitely feeling that as well when i saw the uh, the first um when i saw the you know the all the advertising for like the, the double main event i mean i was a bit uh thing about that because I, I do quite like it to be just the the one main event, and I, I was interested to see how they were going to position it. And to be honest, if ever there was the definition of double main event of the both having equal importance, I do think this actually ended up being it, which I'll definitely go into in more detail as we go throughout the pod. But um, I, I was looking forward to this one as well. Tom, Bob, are you? We're now outside of your. I think we're outside of your Goldilocks zone. So are you kind of are you still eat, eating the porridge, or are you kind of starting to? feel like it's gone a bit sour i'm still loving the porridge if i'm being honest but maybe for slightly different reasons than i enjoyed the porridge that was made in 1987 through to 1989 or <laughs> 1990 really so this porridge is maybe made with like cinnamon and stuff like that whereas the other one would have like chocolate in it you know what i mean that's what i'm saying it's still nice but it's not it's not what it was but there's different reasons why i love this so this was a, a, a one that i had on video but one that i had on video from a very very young age now I um, had like WrestleMania, you know, I watched WrestleMania 1, 2, 3, 4, etc. I had them later, but I can remember having this pretty much as it happened. And it, I can remember for a while, because I didn't have Sky, I, it, this one made me think that wrestlers were a much bigger deal overall than they actually were. So I'll go into some of those as the show goes on. But I was very much looking forward to it. I can remember four or five of the matches on there, a couple of them being very good, one of them being quite disappointing. And I'll be really interested to see what you guys think of that. But my expectations were quite high because I was looking forward to this because it's very nostalgic for me. So this was not uh, one that I was especially looking forward to, I've got to be honest. I've always thought of this as being a relatively poor show overall. I think I've always thought of it as being one that people value more than I think it deserves. And that comes mainly down, I think, to the match that most people have pulled out of this as being the match of the night, which is Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper, which I've always thought under-delivered in terms of what other people have said it you know in terms of what they thought of the match so i was interested to see if i still felt that way watching it again now it's also probably as a consequence of my previous opinion of it one of the wrestlemanias from this period that i've watched the least so despite you tom perhaps having it on vhs i don't think i watched this very often when i was really young and i don't think i've watched it much since like i've watched certainly wrestlemania 3 a number of times i've watched wrestlemania 5 and 6 a good few times we watched WrestleMania 7 to review it a couple of years ago and we reposted that last week of course so this one I just I, I just was like first of all I can't remember an awful lot about it secondly I don't remember it being that great but as I said I was kind of really quite interested in terms of just the whole where the WWE was at the time so I find this period 92 through to 96 I suppose maybe even 97 actually a period I don't think is particularly good in terms of creatively or or um you know from a critical perspective but i do love lots of it because it was when i first got into wrestling but i do find it absolutely fascinating from a backstage perspective in the wwe in particular because it feels like the crumbling of an empire during this sort of five years it genuinely feels like the company is slowly dropping off and in 97 in particular it feels like we are getting towards the end days for them because they really were in quite a lot of trouble. So I think the next few episodes are going to be really interesting for me from the perspective of why the product is where it is and and, and what's happening behind the scenes to make that happen. And we'll, we'll get into all of that, I'm sure, as we as we go through the episode today. So on to our talking points. I'm going to yield the floor to one of you. Put your hand up if you want to go first. Do you know what? For me, I'm going to, for my talking point for this show... It's going to be 
Ric Flair. And it's something, and I know it's something that we've talked about previously as well, Ben, and particularly in that a lot of the stuff that we've seen of his on the pod hasn't necessarily been as fantastic and as great as as the legend of Ric Flair as as you know sort of would lead you know, would lead, lead you to believe that it has been. This show, however, this was the Ric Flair that I've heard about. This was the Ric Flair that seems to have had all that legend. At least that's how it felt to me, anyway. This match, you know, that the Flair had versus Randy Savage. And if you know if you want to go to the result as well, Ben, if you want to do that. I'm getting cues from uh, the polar bear now. Okay, so we've got <laughs> the WWF Championship match, Ric Flair defending against the match around Randy Savage is a match that goes for 25 minutes just over and it ends when basically Savage schoolboys Ric Flair and then holds the trunks pulls them up and wins the match um, and there's a bit of afters afterwards when uh, Elizabeth is confronted by Ric Flair and she slaps she slaps Flair about a bit Savage and attacks Flair Savage is then attacked by Flair and Perfect officials come down separate them them all and Savage and Elizabeth celebrate with the title after the match this was the Ric Flair that I've heard about you know or the, I, I don't want to say that you know that he carried him because you know damn, he damn well didn't I mean you know, Randy Savage was absolutely epic in this as well but specifically looking at Ric Flair that he was great in this you know from you know all his trademark moves like his chops which you know they, they looked and felt more realistic than normal you know he was doing things that you know I, I haven't seen him do at least you know throughout a lot of these pods you know his standing vertical suplex which this strength on him the fact that he was able to hold Savage up and Savage is a big dude you know he had him held up in the air for quite a while on a delayed a delayed suplex which was quite incredible for, for him to be able to pull off so I thought that was great Flair bled in the match as well so it was a sort of trademark you know the blood on the white hair which always looks i gotta be honest is a hell of a visual he was perfect he was absolutely fantastic in this match you know he, like little things you know the the right hands that he threw felt like really tough you know hard punches and you know that, that he threw them with fucking mad intention as well so the finish um i thought was great flair absolutely went batshit afterwards you know kiss liz which you know was, was a big no-no uh liz went nuts savage went after him but like this whole thing felt extremely personal. And like I said, specifically focusing in on Flair's performance, I just felt that this was the Ric Flair. And his promos throughout the show as well were also great, you know, pre and post uh, the match. This was the guy that I've heard so much about. And do you know what? That This was absolutely fantastic. I love this. Props to both guys. So, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Matt. I think this is um obviously Flair rightfully gets applauded for applauded for his performance in the 92 Rumble. But I think this is equally as strong in terms of the actual match. It starts off so intense. Macho Man brints down to the ring. Absolutely just canes it down to the ring. His personal, he wants Ric Flair, wants to beat him up. And what I really liked about it was, yeah, like you said, the intensity at the beginning, all the impacts of the moves. But what I seem to remember from this match, the main thing that I can remember from watching it when I was younger was the, the fact that Macho Man uh, is selling his leg for so long for so long in fact i still if matching man was still alive he'd still be selling his leg now because at the end of the match he's selling it but you said just then tinky that this match was over 25 minutes long well based my onions because i did <laughs> not think that it was that long at all that was how much i enjoyed it, it was no way it seemed like a totally 25 minute match. 
Um, they keep the intensity up for the whole match. The biggest learning point I think I've had on this entire podcast is Ric Flair's delayed vertical suplex. Because I seem to remember the first time we saw it, saw it on whatever show it was we recorded. I was like, that's weird. I've never seen him do that before. And he actually does it all the time, which is which is quite funny. Um, Macho Man is amazing in it. Mr. Perfect on the outside is brilliant. Bobby Heenan's commentary is absolutely amazing as well because he's hysterical at points. Doesn't even try. There's no even an attempt to like hide his bias or anything. Like that. He's he's absolutely magnificent in it. He does go on a little bit about the pictures. So the storyline going into this that that's uh, Ric Flair has allegedly got some kind of nudie pics of Elizabeth and he's going to put them on the big screen in the Hoosier Dome when he wins the match. And he goes on for a little bit about it as Bobby Heenan a little bit too much for my liking, but it's still it's still heel stuff. So it's supposed to be a bit grating, isn't it? The match in itself is great. The like you said, Matt, the visual, the blood is, is absolutely outstanding. It's just it's just phenomenal. When Miss Elizabeth comes down, the pop is outrageous. Did you notice Shane McMahon was one of the people down there trying to stop her from coming out? Which is quite quite good to see. It's the only time I've ever seen Shane McMahon come down in the WWE ring in the last 10 years and not wanted to vomit blood. So <laughs> that was something. Um, the elbow drop that, that Macho Man hits Ric Flair with is amazing. And what I think they do quite well is that at the time that the match ends, Macho Man has got the match won. Ric Flair comes in pulls the referee out, doesn't get sent out of the back for some reason, so he didn't get to see the amazing Earl Hebner, you're out of here, thing. But um, it meant that there was still all the cards, all the, everything was stacked against Macho Man, which is why I don't mind him pulling the tights, because it's like an equaliser. You know, he does pull the tights of Ric Flair to get the win. It gives the heels a chance to to feel like hard done by, and quite justifiably so, and allow the feud to carry on. The promo afterwards I thought was brilliant, because Bobby Heenan and... Mr. Perfect are going absolutely bonkers. Bananas, as Gorilla Monsoon would say. But Ric Flair's calm and calculated. He's the veteran in this situation. He's like, no, we don't. We go again. You know what I mean? We 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 recalculate, we recalibrate, I think he says about 15 times, and then we go again. And I just thought it was really good. And overall, I thought this is a much better match than I remember it being. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I wasn't as high on it as you two. Um, I thought it, I thought it was very good, but I just didn't. I, I didn't. I wouldn't go as far as to call it great. It was a very good match. There's just something about I, there's just something about Flair's running WWF that I feel it feels a little bit. I'm gonna kind of refer back to SummerSlam '92, the match at SummerSlam '92, which Flair wasn't in the match, but it was Savage versus the Warrior, and in that match, kind of one of the selling points is that Flair and Perfect, someone's it's going to be revealed that Perfect is in somebody's corner, and it never happens because they're in neither corner, and it's just all a it's all a ruse. But it's a bit it's a bit stupid, it's a bit silly. Here, one of the big selling points is. Flair and Perfect is going to reveal this picture of Elizabeth, a centerfold style picture of Elizabeth, that's going to reveal her to be less than this innocent person that she's been all, all you know, she's been portrayed as. And nothing comes of it. You don't get anything. They don't even attempt to reveal a picture. And I just it feels like I've seen a little bit of Flair stuff before Jim Crockett went really kind of national when it was still called Mid Atlantic and feels quite similar to a lot of that stuff there's a lot of non-delivery of kind of key selling points of stories and i'm just like it's so i find it really really unsatisfying and the matches don't make up for it for me they just don't they just don't do enough to make up for it. and that was on my mind throughout this I was like when are we going to get to the picture you know when is that thing is it when is it going to be exposed that that's not true that they haven't got anything or that what they've got is something that's clearly fake or whatever and they just never get to it they just never get to resolving that little that little angle behind uh, of it all and i think had they i think had they done that and had they come out and shown this picture even if it was obviously a fake then it i could have bought more into savage's anger but 
the way I felt about it was like Savage should just be like, well, what have you got? We we know she hasn't done anything. So what have you got? Where's your where's your evidence? You know, and this just, it just didn't do it. And I just found that a little bit. I just found that very very unsatisfying. The match is 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 definitely good, but it, but that really took away from it for me. No, I I, I get where you you're coming from in, in terms of the picture. And I mean, but perhaps I'm you know the, the the benefit of of kind of knowing what happens didn't really bother me as such because I mean, well, I mean I, I didn't know exactly what happened, but I was thinking if there was a picture. I probably would have seen it by now. So I was assuming that just that there wasn't. So I, I didn't really care all that much about that. So yeah, for, for me, I was just a little background thing. I was like, ah, whatever. I didn't really, didn't and really mind. And we know historically that stuff doesn't interest you as much anyway. The story aspects are not as big a deal to you as they are to me. And so that's fair yeah. enough. But for me, that's just such a key part of this. And it's just, and it, and it's a key part because as you said, Matt, they're really trying to sell the personal nature of this. And I just, just wasn't buying it. I was like, well, why is it so personal? She, Flair says he's got this picture and he's going to reveal it. And he hasn't. So where's your, where's your problem? Well, there are pictures. So I've seen them of like Flair and Elizabeth hanging out by a pool and stuff like that. I can't remember where, at what point they were published or shown, but I've definitely seen, in fact, I've just found them on the internet. So it's like a picture of like Miss Elizabeth in a swimming costume sat by a pool with Ric Flair with an awful shirt on, might I add. There's a couple of other ones of them like having dinner, like a candlelit dinner. Regardless, it doesn't get resolved at this show. Exactly. And he's and he's still selling the idea that he's really angry. And they say they're going to reveal it. So regardless of whether they did eventually then bring these pictures out later on, that doesn't explain the anger in this match. And it doesn't explain um, the fact that they've said they're going to reveal it. It's just really I just don't I just I don't like that. I just think that's really poor. If you're gonna if you're saying that we're gonna reveal these pictures of WrestleMania, then do it or be exposed for not being able to do it. Can we talk about the leg selling? I know I've mentioned it already. But what are your <laughs> yeah, thoughts yeah. on the leg selling? Because it is tremendous. It is amazing how, how, how after the match, he can't stand can he match him? And he's leaning on the ropes. He can not put any weight on it. It's just, oh, it's wonderful. Which is why Macho Man's leg is my MVP. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I thought his selling was really good. And, and don't get me wrong, I think the, the technical aspects of the match are very good. Maybe not amazing. I still I still struggle with Flair a lot because I still think his style is so samey. It's just the same thing again and again and again. But it was the, it was a really good match. I just that bit of it really took it away from me. There was a, a point that I, I had a like a real flashback to my 1992 days and being like, who the fuck is this guy? Because like, I think I watched like some stuff before he joined and then he joined. And I was like, who's this guy? Why is he the, who's this little guy who says world's champion who's nowhere near as big as anyone else? All of a sudden the champion. It was like, well, I remember having, I think you told me, Tinky, in like, when, when would it have been? Like 2005, 2006, whatever. When you were like, you know, the Bradshaws, the champion. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? The guy from the Acolytes. He's he's, yeah. he's the champion. The guy, Justin Hawk Bradshaw is the WWE champion. It's the same kind of feeling of bemusement when yeah. when all of a sudden I looked and I was like, but Rick, Rick Flack can't be WWF champion. He's tiny compared to Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> and, he's, I, and he looks old. And he looks like an old man. Nice. An old, decrepit, small man has managed to be the world champion yeah. over Hogan and Undertaker and Warrior and all these other people. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's, it was, I can remember at the time just being so confused. And I could also be like, why ain't Mr. Perfect Wrestling? Why is he walking around all the time? Like, I can remember being really confused by that. Um, and also, and also JBL, still, still, I still can't believe it. I'm still like, what? He was world champion. It's, what? 
it's funny that you mentioned that because I had that exact conversation with my brother around about the time. My brother watched wrestling for a very sort of brief fleeting moment and then stopped. And I, I remember telling him and he was like, what the fuck? He was like, that's how you know shit is bad if Bradshaw is the champ. But, but one thing I wanted to note as well was the the uh, the, the post-match um, promo between uh, the Flair had and Savage had. The, the only thing for me is I kind of felt they were a bit night and day. I felt Flair's promo was amazing. Savages was a little bit shit. I think a lot of Savages promos I'm used to being quite short, and this one was a little bit longer. So like, I don't know, like the the, the way he speaks and his delivery, just for a lengthy period of time, it it just sounds odd and strange to me. And it's just like, why is this man talking in a weird voice for? Whereas if he does it quite short, it doesn't feel that way. So he was he was going on for a bit, and I was like, yes, yeah, you've just lost me, man. Well, with this with Flair, I was hanging on every word. So I, I, you know, I definitely felt they were different. The other thing that I found difficult about this was that that Savage and Elizabeth element because they were basically breaking up at yeah. this point in time. I think they divorced this year, so they may already have split split as far as I know. I don't, and maybe just reading into something that wasn't there, but that really felt like an element here especially with Savage's promo, their interaction in the ring after the match just didn't feel as natural and as organic and as realistic as it perhaps had in the past. It felt a little bit more like they were, they just weren't quite so comfortable in the situation they were portraying this couple that were still married and still happily together. Well, there's the bit where Ric Flair kisses her and she starts slapping him away. And then Macho Man runs out of the corner and like pushes her get pushes her out of the way like do you know what I mean it just it doesn't look particularly like heroic yeah, yeah it looks a bit weird yeah, it just it, it also like just felt it just felt awkward like and the same was the safe same with that promo afterwards it just felt like if honest if, if i'm honest it felt like savage was being honorable because he gives her the title and says this is yours you know and all this sort of stuff but doing it in a way that was the way someone would react when they had broken up and you know trying to explicitly show that he wasn't bitter and he was trying to be a good guy rather than friends <laughs> well yeah rather than because he it was his wife and he loved her you know it, it just that's it just that's what it felt like and again that kind of maybe colored my kind of whole view of this this bit was that that knowledge that they aren't in a good place I don't, mm. as I said, I don't know if they'd actually split, but I would imagine they did. I mean, as I said, they got divorced in 1992 at some point. So, you know, it couldn't have been long after this or may even have been before. So that's your talking point, Matt. Nice one. Like it. Tom. My talking point, eh? Here we go, then. <laughs> this is the shortest talking point ever. The Star Spangled Banner, then. Yeah. Ooh. And not America the Beautiful. Yeah, not liking it. And I don't know why they've done this. Because I know, no. obviously, you guys covered WrestleMania 6. And they did um, Oh Canada, obviously, because it was in Canada. Uh, WrestleMania 7, I believe Willie Nelson did America the Beautiful. And this is um, country singer Reba McIntyre, Drew's mum, I believe, <laughs> singing the Star Spangled Banner. And I started I started writing my notes. So just to give you guys a little heads up, this is amazing. Well, it's not amazing. It's actually just because I couldn't be bothered. I started writing my notes. And then the rest of the show, I couldn't be bothered. So I started writing down and I actually wrote, Reba McIntyre starts singing uh, America the Beautiful. And now, next thing you know, I'm going, oh, say, can you? And I'm like, hang on, this is America the Beautiful. This is a Star Spangled Banner. What's going on here? And she's no Rockin' Robin either. Oh, no, no, no. this is a really poor showing. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I shared your, your frustration here. They had done an, but the sparse, the, the spar, the spar, the spar <laughs> spangled <laughs> banner. But the star spangled banner they had had sung, of course, at WrestleMania One by Gene Oakland. So you can take time, that, can't you? 
And yeah, and then they they established the tradition from WrestleMania 2. But having done that, they then revert to WrestleMania 8, the Star Spangled Banner. It's almost as if Reba McIntyre had said, I don't want to, I don't know the words to America the Beautiful. Can I do Star Spangled Banner instead? She's like, why the fuck am I singing America the Beautiful and not the Star Spangled Banner? Do you know what I mean? Because like, it is weird. Because if you watch any other kind of American sporting events, they always sing the Star Spangled Banner. So why, why do we were like, you know, we're going to go a bit different. We're going to go a bit out there. We're the, the punk rock of major American events. We're going to go with a different, very patriotic American anthem. Maybe, but I don't think it, I think it's quite a, I think it's a quite a clever move. I think it just establishes a different tradition within wrestling. I, I, I like that. I think that's, I, I, I have no issue with that at all. I think that's, that's a good thing to do. I just don't know why she's singing this song, because as I say, like, this is not, this is going away from the, from the tradition. And now I'm not sure we can even rate it against all the other American Beatles when we get to the end, because I was legitimately thinking of doing a, 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 a you know all of the wrestlemania america the beautiful's ranked and now we've got wrestlemania one that doesn't qualify wrestlemania six that doesn't qualify and now wrestlemania eight the other two as you said tom i could live with because circumstance yeah. but this one what now the question is at wrestlemania 18 do they do oh canada or what goes what happens well, then no spoilers. That's no spoilers. Let's just wait until we get there. I don't <laughs> want. I don't because I don't. I'm not like Matt. I don't want to look. I'm not looking ahead at any of these shows. I'm literally no. putting it, plugging it in, playing it, and see what happens. Well, if you're anything like me, you forget until about a day before recording and panic watch it, like, <laughs> like I do. The the difference is, I guess, I don't have hosting duties. But the yeah, it it was just a bit weird. I wonder if they did they announce her as singing the Star Spangled Banner. Yes, they did. Oh, okay. Because I was just wondering if they were like, and here to sing America the Beautiful. Rebel McIntyre, oh, say, kind of Vince Deck, like, what the fuck? In the background. Yeah, they, they had a backing shit. track. They had a backing track. And, and that this is the thing. When when Finkel announces it, I'm like, what? They've got it wrong, surely. Surely yeah. she's singing America Beautiful and Finkel's just done it wrong. But no, she does sing Spar. Spar, spar I can't stop saying it. The Star Spangled. Spar Spangled. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy, during this uh, rendition, by the way, there's a guy holding a small US flag up who looks a little bit like Jim Cornette and looks entranced by something, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> he's, maybe he's as confused as we are. He's like, what yeah. the fuck are you? What's this? I only came I, here for America the Beautiful, and now yeah. they got this fucking shit. I, I got the album art and everything, the, the album lyrics, you know, I got the vinyl of America the Beautiful out and <laughs> studied the lyrics for days for this. What have they done over the last couple of years then? Like, haven't they done, I can't, like, now off the top of my head, I can't remember, but like, I, I'm sure that at least there's multiple WrestleManias I can remember where they did the Star Spangled Banner. Well, let's find out as we go. We, we'll get know, there like, eventually, Matt. Don't worry yet. We won't let's, spoil any specific stop ones. Stop spoiling but... it. This is the best <laughs> bit about this whole thing is seeing all the America the Beautifuls in order and not knowing what's going to happen. And we've already got three from eight that aren't even America the Beautiful. It's an yeah. absolute disgrace. I, I feel this... very let down by WWE. Do you know what? They, and they've never let us down. Not like this. <laughs> not like this. Um, I also did wonder, because I think... I know, what you're, I know where you're coming from here, Matt, because... I'm pretty sure there's been a few WrestleManias where they've not just attached it to the broadcast, so it happens in the in the in the stadium, but they don't put it on the on the show. And I think there's there's one like quite well, it might be like a shanty one, quite well known at the time R&B artist who who gets cut cut out of the broadcast. So yeah, this is going to be exciting. All all that matters is that before he dies, I want Bruce Springsteen to do it. That's all I want. Ah. Well, we've already we've already spoken about my MVP, and his Bruce name Springs- is his name is Howard Finkel. He's oh. my MVP of this show. I genuinely think that this is this is Howard Finkel really stood out to me on this show as the guy that 
is the voice of the announcing job of WWE. Now, that's probably not in your mind, Matt, as being the case, I would think, given that I think by 2001, though he was still around, he wasn't doing any of the regular duties. He was kind of like at a guest guest announcer occasionally, you know, came out for special occasions. But he wasn't your everyday ring announcer by that point. Like Tony Chimmel and Lillian Garcia were very much embedded by that point. But for me, Howard Finkel is the announcer, the default announcer in my head when I think of mm-hmm. WWE. I don't think that will ever change. And and on this show in particular, there is something about his delivery, something about there's the bit before the Sid Vicious Hogan match, which he has with Whippleman, which is oh. the beginning of their kind of two year feud, which would result in them having a silly kind of tuxedo match or raw in like 94 or something. Um, <laughs> God, yeah. But it would go all that. Oh, it would go all that time. So it was a really long, long term storytelling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A few and, between Harvey Whippleman and the Fink. Yeah, one yeah. of the greats. One of the absolute greats. But it was just, just generally, he's, there's, you know, he, there's a couple of times when he has to do and new world champion a couple oh, of times, which is oh. Finkel, in my opinion, still does better than anybody else. I, I, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. There's a there's a way that he delays because the winner of this match uh, and new and there's just new. something about the tone and this pause and everything. You're like this guy just gets it just knows what he's doing so that's why he's my mvp really stuck out to me during the show as as kind of delivering at the key moments when it really mattered do you ever have it where you have things that stick in your head for some reason and you can't remember what they're from so yeah. there's there's a couple of things there's there's okay there's i seem to remember there's like a video of some bloke going in my head going and you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it and i've got no idea what it's from and it does my head in. And up until yesterday, there was a bit of announcing by Howard Finkel that I couldn't associate which wrestler it was to. And it was when Rick Martel, now he comes down, and even though he's Canadian, he's billed as from Cocoa Beach, Florida. And the way he says it, the way Finkel says it, it's like a little like a little ride you go on when you say it. And for ages, and I couldn't remember who it was, because I know Macho Man's from Sarasota, it's not him, it's someone, and it's the way he goes, Cocoa Beach, Florida. <laughs> it's just wonderful, which is what I'm going to call my second child, if I have one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, that was, it was so satisfying. It was always, I was in the kitchen, and I had it on in the background whilst I was doing some cooking, and I was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's the one. You Cocoa Beach, like Florida. Rick Santa, when you say that. It was I, I, honestly I can, amazing. I could hear like a ho, ho, ho. Yeah, that's why I love it. It's just amazing. I, like, I, was, I was like, it was like this this weight had been lifted off my shoulders that I've been carrying around with me for 20 years. So I just can't remember. <laughs> love it, man. But yeah, great show. It's wonderful. The the the, the highlight is is for me anyway with, with the Fink is after the Matcha Man Rick Flair match because it's a bit chaotic. It's a bit like you said, Tinky. It's made me think of like. We, we, we discussed some of the older, when we did one of the AWA shows, and all the matches end, and they're all a bit chaotic. There's loads of people in the ring. There's loads of madness going on. It's not like there's a one, two, three in the ring, and then the wrestler that is in there has their moment of glory. It's like a delayed bit of gratification. That's what happens, because people don't seem to react when Macho Man pins Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. But when that call comes in, about uh, and new everyone goes mad and it's amazing on the savage one he doesn't say and new he says i think he says something like and um again or once yeah, again once again world champion yeah. something like that so again he even mixes it up but you're right it's almost like he just waits 
and I'm sure, you know, it's probably not that hard. I'm sure he's got direction and goodness as well. But it's almost as if it's all this chaos all going on. And he's just waiting for the moment where the crowd are simmered down, where everything's everything stopped a little bit. And then he comes in with his announcement. And again, I, you know, I'm putting probably putting way too much value on what he himself has made the decision to do at that point, because I'm sure he, that is not his decision. But I still think it, it just he just gets it he just knows what he's doing and he, and he arrives on time and it, and it works really well and as you said tom it kind of cuts undercuts all the madness and goes right here's what's just happened right then so my talking point is the first three matches and specifically that this is the for me the significant part of this show not the main events and nothing else that happens on the show the main events for me are rendered relatively inconsequential by the future Hogan effectively walks out of the company after this until the following year's WrestleMania. And then he's only around for a couple of months and he bogs off again for however many years until he returns in 2002. Flair isn't with the company by the following year's WrestleMania. Sid leaves the company shortly after this show. And Savage is on the commentary desk for WrestleMania 9. The consequences of these matches aren't really that important. The first three matches are Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels, Jake Roberts versus The Undertaker and Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart. It's the three biggest stars of the next five years getting victories over three of the biggest legacy stars of the WWE for the from the previous seven, eight years. It's the first sign, the real first sign that WWE are genuinely trying to move to a new generation of, of people as their top guys. These guys would have lost these matches a year before the same way as Rick Martel, for example, lost to Jake Roberts in the blindfold match. They wouldn't have come out on top. But here they are coming out on top because Vince is now starting to look at what he can do going forward. He needs something new. He's looking for a new direction. And here they are, Brett, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and they will effectively be the stars of the, the next five years until Austin obviously arrives on the scene and goes you know, goes through the roof. So for me, it's it's really significant. You know, and Piper, in particular Piper and Roberts are just really big stars, really, really big stars for Bret Hart to be able to beat Roddy Piper, for example, is massive. We've already spoken on this podcast before. Piper didn't do the job for anyone. He didn't do the job for Hogan. You know, Piper just wouldn't be wouldn't put people over. He did it for Bret Hart. Now, regardless of whether that was a personal choice, I'm sure it was. I can't imagine Vince would have just been able to tell him to do it. The point is, is that this showed an incredible amount of faith in WWE on WWE's part, at the very least, in in what they thought of Bret Hart. So that's really my talking point is those three matches. But I guess we'll we'll hone in specifically on the Bret Hart Roddy Piper match so that we can pick out one specific match uh, 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 from the those three. It's a match for the Intercontinental Title. Piper's going in as champion. And he loses to Bret Hart by pinfall after just under 19 minutes when Piper clamps on the sleeper hold and Bret Hart obviously jumps up onto the uh, turnbuckle, pushes himself off and pins Piper as Piper continues to hold him in the sleeper hold. For me, match of the night, it was a match that I was not expecting to like as much as I did because I had previously not enjoyed it as much as this. This was I, I, I prefer I enjoyed this far more than I have previously having watched it. And it feels really significant looking at it now as a really, really major, major moment, because, again, Piper just didn't do this. And Piper was a genuine, like massive star, like genuinely a massive star, regardless of the 
way in which we all reacted to his WrestleMania six nonsense with old Morton Downey Jr. Um, oh, WrestleMania five. Sorry, God. Regardless of how we reacted to that, he was still a massive star. It was they wouldn't have done that if he wasn't a massive star. And you know, he he obviously went and I assume. Uh, agreed or even elected to lose to Bret Hart cleanly in the middle of the ring. There was no kind of interference either. It wasn't a kind of cheap finish. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was really good. I thought it was great how Piper was wrestling with his demons. The the in the only the way Piper can because Piper always has kind of treaded that line between being a heel and a babyface. There are moments of slight technical inaccuracy and there are a couple of botches here and there in this one but it didn't detract from me that much and i actually and i think previously it probably did detract from me more whereas this time i got a bit more swept up in the the actual story of the match yeah do you know but i'm glad you mentioned about the the, the first three matches um you know featuring guys you know they sort of look into the future because yeah, that's definitely a good point looking at sort of this match specifically and um, the brett and piper match i was actually expecting a little bit more from what I've heard about it previously, um, it's supposed to be quite quite a celebrated, you know, really good match, and it it, it definitely was good. No, not going to say it was bad by any stretch. It was it was definitely a good match, but but I actually had higher expectations for this one, and it, it didn't quite live up to them for me. I can't say that I quite noticed the. I mean, again, I I wasn't really a fan at the time, so it, I suppose it's harder in a way for me to appreciate how big of a deal it would have been for for Piper to put Brett over. There, there were things in the match that I did like, you know. This definitely was the best Roddy Piper match that, that I've ever seen. I'll definitely say that. But I, I don't know what it was. It just, I don't know. It, it lacked something. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it, it didn't feel as important to me as, as perhaps it could have been. So he was just lacking that little bit. I think that was my reaction to it in previous watches, Matt. I think I've always thought, oh, this has got a massive reputation. It doesn't live up to it. And for some reason this time, I felt like it kind of got closer to matching Come up to it. Way. But maybe because... I was now my expectations were much lower. I don't know. Yeah. I've got a bit of a strange relationship with this match, if that's how you would describe it, <laughs> in that this is the match that turned me into a Bret Hart guy. This was the one that, that made me, I was like, this guy's amazing. I love it. But I don't, when I think of great Bret Hart matches, I don't think of this. You know, it's not even in the top 10. You know, you think like Canadian Stampede, Austin, Owen, Owen 2. Even like the Montreal match, like the, the even though I hate the way it ended, you know, I'd still think of that as higher. Like there's there's so many matches involving Bret Hart that I think of, even like the Survivor Series ninety match where he loses when the Undertaker makes his debut and he loses, I think of before I think of this match. And I think a large portion of that is because I I'm not a big fan of Rowdy Roddy Piper. So that might be part of the reason why I, I don't ever think of this match as being one of the good ones. So like Tinky, I went into this match being like, well, it's a Bret Hart match. I know it's going to be good and I know it's my guy and I'm going to enjoy it and I know what I'm going to get from it. But I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I than I thought it would. And this is why it's my match of the night as well. I've got to give some credit to Piper though, because Piper plays his role particularly well. I really like the bit where he, like you said, where he's battling with his demons. Is he going to hit Bret with the ring bell? He would do that against anyone else but he can't bring himself to do it in this match like you said tinky he's always been a beloved baby well, in in the wwf especially after like wrestlemania 2 always been a beloved baby face who will cheat and do the nasty stuff um and i i really like that he couldn't do it in this match piper is in tremendous shape as well probably the best shape i think i've ever seen him in and it's got to be said i like that intercontinental belt on roddy piper <laughs> it looks good he carries it well and i like but what i also remember about this is 
this has come back to me actually. So I had the Rowdy Roddy Piper figure, and I could always remember getting really annoyed that he's not wearing the white hot rod t-shirt when he comes down to the ring, because that's what's on the action figure. He's wearing the black one, but that's a glorious shirt as well. This match is 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 a lot better than I remember. Like I said, match of the night. Brett's doing all of his Bret Hart tropes. He's playing possum in this as well, which obviously Gorilla Monsoon kind of notices a lot. The kind of unorthodox finish, I love. Which again, you just don't seem to. I kind of don't want to be one of those guys like, oh well, back in my day. But no one seems to win a match unless they hit their finisher anymore. And I love the fact that you could have these matches. We talk about like this match. You talk about like we spoke about Steamboat Savage, you know, which has got like a small package. Well, you don't really get that much these days anymore, at least in WWE. I can't speak for other promotions where someone wins with a move that isn't their finisher. And I just like that because it adds that element of unpredictability to matches. And I think that like Brett as a as a as a as a wrestler was probably one of the best at thinking of creative ways to win a match. And again, I think that's another reason why I'm such a fan of his. Brilliant. Brett's in all pink. Lovely stuff. He blades, or he, or he gets busted open, adds a little bit of colour to the match, adds a little bit of intensity to it. I'd think, I think this is great, a great match. The thing I wanted to pick up on there is the uh, whole thing with the, the finishes, because I think we've spoken about this again quite a bit recently, but it, but it is worth going over again, because I remember, Matt, you kind of reacted to it a couple of weeks ago by saying, oh, there's lots of like distraction roll-ups that we go. Oh, no, it was, I think it might even been um, Alex who did said it is lots of um kind of distraction roll-ups on raw and whatnot and there have been you know countless times it was even like i know that the solar monster on his podcast used to kind of go have a count of how many there were each week because there just used to be so many but that's not what we're really talking about it's it's actually kind of different ways of finishing within the bounds of the sporting conceit you know and, and it's like bret hart nearly all of his big matches end in some form of maneuver rather than having done the big move or got the sharpshooter on someone and and there are not many wrestling matches i can remember from you know this last couple of years where that happens like it does tend to be big move big move big move count pick out kick out kick out kick out massive massive move impossible to kick out of pit you know what i mean whereas brett's matches didn't necessarily have those big big moves and and big kick outs it was more a small package kick out then kind of a roll up into the victory or something like that it feels more realistic to me if i'm honest than the big move style because i can i can imagine you know i can imagine like again going to mma i I can't imagine each fighter has got a special move that they use i mean they probably got favored submissions or favored you know maneuvers that they go for but they haven't got like oh this this guy's gonna do a super power bomb type thing it just doesn't track you win however you can now, wrestling allows you to do that a bit more smoothly so you can do it so it looks more intricate because obviously you don't have to you don't have to kind of muscle your opponent into that position. They'll just do they'll just allow you to do it. But that makes it for me, that makes those matches feel more real because you're like, well, Piper could have just let go of the sleeper, but he he didn't because he thought he could still get the victory if, if Brett, if, you know, if he, Brett, if he could hold on to Brett for long enough. So and also it doesn't make it's, it's Piper losing clean, but doesn't make Piper diminished in any way. It's not like he's a worst fighter. He just got, again, outthought on this particular occasion. But that doesn't necessarily mean it would happen every time. It's just that it shows Brett Hart to be this sort of master tactician rather than the strongest guy in the world, which is what it kind of has become now is 
who's the who's the strongest who can who can hit the highest impact move rather than who can maneuver themselves into a wrestling victory i think matt can probably speak on this with more authority than me because he's definitely watched a lot more mma than i have but there, there always seems to me to be an element of some people are really good at a certain thing so i can think of like ronda rousey used to do the armbar didn't she she would get people down and do the armbar i remember like people like um was named damian meyer was an amazing Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. He would basically get people's back and choke them out or or, or whatever. There are myriad other wrestlers, um, uh, MMA fighters, sorry, that do that. But what, I've, what I noticed was that people tended to all of a sudden start getting away from what brought them to the dance in the first place, whether that's through boredom or whether, you know, boredom in their training or wanting to become better at something else. And once they kind of lose that, they never quite get it back again and never seem to be as good as they as they were. I'm sure there are a couple of examples out there where that where, I, where I'm wrong in that aspect. And someone all of a sudden who was known for being a good wrestler is all of a sudden an incredible striker or, or something like that. But It'd be interesting again. Like I can imagine, I can imagine someone like Daniel Bryan being a wrestler that doesn't have a finisher. Do you know what I mean? Like I could, I, I, I like the idea of him being someone who could beat you in any way. All you need to do is just do the wrong thing, and he gets you like that. But even even someone as good as he as him still is reliant on the running knee and the label lock. Do you know what I mean? I, I like. I would love it if there was a wrestler where you didn't know what their signature move was. And like maybe like one pay-per-view match, they hit a certain strike and managed to get a pinfall and then do it in the next match and then don't do it again for another six months and keep their opponents on their toes and be like, people be like, I don't know what to do against him. Do you know what I mean? Almost kind of bring that kind of re- like realistic aspect to it because it's it certainly makes their matches a bit... Now, I don't think wrong, I really like Roman Reigns at the moment, but you know, it's a way for the Superman punch or the spear. Do you know I mean and that's you know what the end of the match is going to be basically? Yeah, or, I, or you know the end of the match isn't coming until after they've hit one of those at yeah. some point because you know that until that happens you haven't run through his spots. So it's not necessarily that will happen instantly, but you know it can't happen until at least he's done it once. Yeah, exactly. And I think it it makes such a, it adds such an interesting dynamic to matches if they didn't rely on that trope so much. Do you know that this is such a and there's so much more that there could be said on this because it's such a fascinating discussion. I think particularly when when you throw in, I think a lot of it is and not just WWE, but I, I think wrestling sort of perspective on wrestlers using submissions as a finish has always been a bit of a, a weird sort of relationship. Like you you don't see that when you compare them to pinfalls, you know, a guy beating a guy clean with his move, you don't see that many submissions. Like say, you know, like with a guy using a special submission or whatever, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's not that common. And I don't know why, and I, I think they should do it more. I, I don't know if it's because in wrestling, they, you know, the, the, you know, the powers that be tend to think that it'll hurt them more you know, by who, you know, they gave up. But, you know, th- thinking of it, you know, from an MMA perspective, uh, as an example, I mean, people tap out to submissions all the time, you know, but then they'll just come back in the interview and afterwards just go, look, it happens, I got caught, better man won, and that's it, you move on. Sorry, Matt, I, just, yeah. I guess the difference is that, that, that MMA fighters tend to have like two, three, four fights a year, whereas wrestlers are fighting like once a week at least. Yeah. So I don't know how that might work. But out. also I think that that does feed into what we're saying here is that what those MMA fighters are saying is I got like you said I got caught wrestling doesn't really work that way wrestlers don't come out of it and go like in this match Piper could come out and say what what are you going to do I I thought I had him I had him in a sleeper I thought he would go out before he got the three it didn't happen and he got he got the pin fair play to him 
but in the main wrestling doesn't work like that it it's you know we, we've got to create an issue between these two people for example also we can't we can't have the drama of a submission being on if someone can get caught if that makes any sense do you know what i mean like yeah. if, if in, in mma if you get caught you pretty much tap out within seconds don't you whereas yeah. in wrestling you you tend to draw out that drama of the submission hold yeah. because you want to give the impression that the person might be able to escape over time yeah. so is this is a little bit of a difference there isn't there it's i mean for me it's, it's something I'd, li- I'd like to see them use more often because uh, you know th- there's been there's been a number of examples of guys over the years who've added a submission to the game to to try and give that different sort of finish i mean you know the undertaker famously with you know adding hell's gate you know roman reigns added the guillotine you know, for for a small period of time, he doesn't tend to use it that often now. But um, you know, going to a submission sort of finish, I, I think, would be a good way of of uh, changing things up. It's interesting you focused on the submission part because I focus on the pinfall side of it more. Like there just aren't enough people getting those caught. Cool, cool. You yeah. can do the court thing with a pinfall in wrestling because there are so many ways to pin someone. Yeah. And it works in it, it because because I think that with the submission one, there's a sense of in MMA, it's accepted. That if you get caught in a really nasty arm bar or choke or whatever, you, you can't stand up to it. No matter who you are, you can't stand up to it. But in wrestling, there's this sort of fantasy world of actually, if you don't stand up to it, what does that say about you? That means you're a little bit weak. And certainly I, I feel a little bit almost the opposite to you, Matt, because and it may be because I've been brought up in the world of WWF when nobody who was a baby face submitted to anything. Yeah. Certainly not the not any valuable baby face. So, you know, for example, Brett Undertaker. Shawn Michaels when he was a babyface none of them ever submitted and would ever submit it was only sort of early 2000s and onwards when you started to see it a little bit creep in yeah, and I, I think I, I think of Rey Mysterio tapping out to the yeah. ankle lock stuff yeah. like that yeah and that always jars with me a little bit because I just I'm like that's not that's not what I've been brought up to believe in with a babyface but I, I'm not saying that that's right it's just how I yeah. conditioned having watched wrestling so I'm a little bit of the other side to you but okay. I guess if you had a, a universe a wrestling promotion where they said look actually submissions if you get caught you're you're done yeah and they just built that into their logic over time i probably could get on board with it but i'm not sure wwe could do it for example yeah going back to this match for a minute i think you're right tom piper is very very good in this match this match is not for me about the technical quality of it although there's plenty on show from brett the the snap suplex that he does where they both oh, yeah, so, I just so, love that I, oh, it's just that's so gorgeous. good i was watching that was, i was like yeah, they're was both good. off the ground for ages yeah. like it's just oh, it's tremendous best snap suplex in the game <laughs> but it's it's this match is for me really good more because of the story they tell like they have a little interview before the match where they kind of build a little bit of tension between them a little bit of a little bit of needle nothing with any real side but just a little bit of needle it's piper Which, being patronizing isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 like, so he's, he's there being like he's there being like ah i remember I like and he's he's like <laughs> saying like how he's like he remembers like being <laughs> being at, 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 at stew's house and yeah. seeing him as a kid eating his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and he's like he's not being ho- horrible but he's just being a bit patronizing annoying and and what is what is inter- what i really like about this people say bret hart's not a great pro man and at this stage in his career he's, he's not amazing but what they do really well is that basically it is like no 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 let piper do his thing you just come in play the complete straight man to it and be like yeah well i'm gonna beat you for the intercontinental title, title sort of thing and that's it because piper just goes off in the promo as well so, and they sort of so they have they introduce this little bit of needle then they have the sort of stare down in the ring beforehand kind of push each other back and forth and slowly piper gets frustrated because he can't 
because Brett's out wrestling him and he can't do anything about it. So Piper starts to resort to some more cheap tactics and starts to bring the sort of brawling side of it to, into the into the thing. And then, of course, Brett blades and you, you get down to the bit where Piper's got the bell and he finally kind of draws back and decides that he can do it, chucks it down, but puts the sleeper on, which is Piper's move anyway. And then Bret Hart manages to counter it. It's just it, that is a story for me is just brilliant it's just unbeatable stuff so there are some technical issues there. there's a bit where they kind of do a, a crossbody and they don't quite get it right and they have to kind of almost work their way over the rope in a kind of awkward way but i just could forgive it this time because i thought the story would just work so well so matt you uh you started to retract your <laughs> awful statement from the other week <laughs> you come you coming on board a little bit more you, you 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 don't need to be you don't need to be on the train you don't need to need to, need to have a ticket yet but you need to be thinking about going to the station i <laughs> put it this way i i'm quite content though to say that the bret hart is amazing and i would consider him to be one of the best ever but there's just there's no way on earth that i'm ever gonna like put him in like my top three or anything like that as an example well, don't time worry. will tell time will tell wrestlemania 13 still to come don't forget oh <laughs> is he on this i tell you what i love wrestlemania 13 if i'm supposed to be on wrestlemania 13 i will swap it oh no matt's on it anyway <laughs> no fuck steve <laughs> and having i want to be on wrestlemania 13 I can't even remember who's got it. So, you know, for now, just just calm, your, calm yourself down. <laughs> Having said that, we have also got WrestleMania 12 to cover, and that might stunt any potential progress of WrestleMania 13. But we shall see. We shall see. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cut it there for the moment and take a little break. When we come back, we will cover all the rest of the show. I think we've covered the best two matches. So uh, the hard work's done, lads, is on to all the rest. There's still plenty to talk about, though, so don't go anywhere. Bring on the dirt. Well, thank you, Gorilla. This is one tough assignment. I'm going to attempt to get comments from the now former World Wrestling Federation champion, Ric Flair's you executive... Shut con- up, Mooney. This is the way it is. Macho man Randy Savage. You call yourself a macho man. Well, what's so macho? What an injustice. I'm not going to stand out here and say anything that wasn't true, macho man. You had a handful of trunks. The twerks were up. The stupid referee. A bad job of officiating. I'll tell you what. Bobby, you saw what happened. Did you see what happened? I just got down from the booth. He had your tights. I saw it. It's on camera. It's on tape. I got it. There's nothing to worry about. He had the There's nothing to worry about. There's well, nothing to worry about. There's 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 nothing to Claiming to be the second time WWF Heavyweight Champion. He'll be claiming it all. And most of all, he'll be claiming the love of that Jezebel, Elizabeth. Now, Savage, unlike a lot of people in the greatest sport of them all, we don't cry over spilt milk. We reassemble a team. The money, the brains, the nucleus, and we say to our opponent, you did it once, now let's see you do it again. One time means nothing to my career. Tell him, Mr. Perfect, 
I'll tell you what, one time means nothing, macho man. Like your old lady, you're gonna be damaged goods because this man has never taken a shortcut in the world of wrestling. You, macho man, have taken a shortcut. You had a handful of tights. We were out there, we were wrestling. This man was the greatest World Wrestling Federation champion of all time. He Here it comes. Let everybody have a good long look at it because they're all gonna see how the handful of tights. Right here right it comes. Watch, watch, Moody, you get a good look. Look at that handful of tights. That's a champion. He cheated. He doesn't deserve to have the title. He's like his old lady, a cheater. Well, the way it stands right now, there is a new champion Let's in the WWF. right now. We're in group together where I go, perfect goes. It's all monitored by Eden. And like I said before, Savage, might not be tomorrow. It might be the day after. But I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to beat you bad. And every time I see your old lady, I'm going to kiss her on those moist, wet lips. Woo! Oh, baby champ. Well, as you know, this is not a very safe place to be. I'm out of here. Let's go over to Mean Gene Okerlund. Okay, welcome back. So we've got WrestleMania 8 to cover from the beginning without the stuff we've already done, obviously. And we've got new commentators this time around for the first time in some time. Gorilla Monsoon's still here, but now... Bobby the Brain Heenan is with him. Now, that might have been the case for WrestleMania 7. I can't actually remember anymore. But certainly the last one we've done recently, I say done, recorded recently, um, was the last one between Monsoon and Ventura. How are we feeling about Monsoon and Heenan? I'm going to start with you, Matt, because uh, I'm wondering this might be one of your first experiences of these two as a duo. It was. And to be honest, um, I, I quite enjoyed them. I, I thought they, they worked really well together. I, I did like uh, Ventura as well. I'm not going to lie, but... No complaints from me. I, I thought they worked really well together and enjoyed them. Tom, I'm assuming you're kind of going to wax lyrical about the duo. Yeah, well, they're great. They are, aren't they? I mean, so to answer your question, taking Bobby Heenan is on seven. Right. Okay. Um, so it is is really good. I, I still, I sorry, I'm a little bit distracted. I just um went uh, during our little break. I went up and um, I had to scoop a, a turd out of the bath. So I've got a little bit of this that weirdness going on. Even though I've washed my hand, I can still feel it, you know? So, like, sorry, there's that. There's my wife's turn as well. I don't know why she did one of it. Um, so, you hope, anyway. Yeah, what was the question? Thinking? Nothing, there's no question. It was just, I guess, oh, no, Bobby think... Heenan. Yeah, no, Bobby Heenan's great. Bobby Heenan and Gorilla are a lovely commentary team. They got on with each other so well. Every now and again, I'll go, go through and watch an old episode of Primetime Wrestling or something like that on the network, and I'll enjoy it because they have such a good time together. Especially, Matt, if this is your first kind of foray into them, go back and watch some of their, like, skits that they do when they end up going to like a, or going on like safari together or they go to the zoo or they basically go out on half like day trips and it's absolute comedy gold. In fact, you'd hate it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's brilliant. So I really like it. I'd obviously rather Jesse was there, but I'll take Bobby easily. I'd rather have Bobby and Gorilla than Vince and Jesse. I don't know if that was an option, but I think I, yeah. that's that's the if you're thinking of the number two commentators from the Jesse and Vince, you know, mold, I'd rather go that route. It's interesting because this is I hadn't really thought about it before, but we've been we've been seeing a lot of Monsoon Aventura so far in this series. And this is the first time we've seen Heenan and Monsoon. It's not because we would have seen it when we did WrestleMania 7, but we did it nearly two years ago. So it's, it's a bit not quite so fresh in my mind. And 
I was able to contrast them quite a lot here, and I realised how much more I prefer Ventura and Monsoon than than Heenan and Monsoon, which is a surprise because Monsoon and Heenan actually work together much more regularly. In fairness, because they did prime time together and did it for years and years and years and years, and I just I didn't love them to be honest together. I wasn't a big fan of this. Maybe this was late. This was later in their time together. Monsoon was starting to wind down. If you saw some of the kind of commentary or some of the clips from previous to this show where they showed what was got what happened to lead up to the show monsoon's not doing a lot of the commentary in those in those shows we'd seen tony Schiavone do some of the pay-per-views the non-wrestlemania pay-per-views over the previous couple of years as well so monsoon was trying to starting to wind down so i, I mean that might be part of it so i but i didn't love this i didn't love them together here i was, wasn't a massive fan what i did love though is i not too long ago a couple of weeks ago maybe two three weeks ago went on wwe network and watched Bobby the Brain Heenan's WWE Hall of Fame speech, oh. induction speech. And yeah, at the end, the last, basically the last thing is he kind of thanks everybody and then says, basically almost like breaks down in tears when he says, I just wish that Gorilla could have been here. And it's just like, it's a genuinely like emotional yeah, moment, like really like amazing. So that, that was, at least I had that in mind. But here they just seem to, I didn't get that warmth for each, the, the, i didn't get the sense that they had the warmth for each other in and, and that's probably just good acting because that that's the whole point they're not supposed to like each other but with ventura and monsoon you you very often got that even though they were arguing and, and they used to t- take the mick out of each other a little bit you very much got that sense that there was affection whereas it didn't really feel that from this one maybe as i said maybe they're just really good at, at uh, hiding it i also think at this time bobby heenan is so far in his like flair heel bag mm. that he almost goes to too far the other way i think and i and i think actually that was another thing that affected my enjoyment of the flair savage match because i liked that during the rumble 92 when we covered that way back on episode I think four three or four of this podcast but yeah here I, I didn't like it so much i found it a little bit grating so again maybe that's just another part of it i just i think he i just didn't really enjoy heenan's commentary which i'm surprised because i've always have done in the past but here i just wasn't wasn't liking it so much we'll go in the first match we'll cover a, a tremendous bit of commentary that he does um but just to say here's to a uh, gorilla monsoon this is the end of his wrestlemania commentary journey mm-hmm. uh, he's not on the next one so thanks for the good times gino indeed he did however commentate on radio wwf for wrestlemania 10 so yes is that. But we but we we're not covering that. <laughs> I tell you what though, they really should have that as an alternative soundtrack yeah. on the network. Yeah, you know how you could if you're watching like live football on BBC, you can watch it with the five live commentary, can you? They should they should definitely do that. Well, and also on the network, you can have the Spanish commentary, you can have the other you know the other language commentaries there's no reason if they have the recording somewhere they should just plunk it on they do welsh language commentary matt have you ever tried to listen <laughs> out for that Piroek ah. doing the uh, old, yeah. uh no the, cl- the closest i've seen them trying to use like welsh words is like the promotional market and they did for clash of the castle they, they there was like a poster put up with like loads of well wwe like welsh phrases but yeah the, they, they've never tried that that'd be cool it's, though they're lost because there's not only US, but there's a tiny port in Argentina that speaks Welsh in there, so they'd be the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, there was that to urban legend that um, Hernan Crespo was the last Welsh-speaking player to to play in the World Cup. I don't think he did speak Welsh. I think it was a bit of an urban myth, but uh, it's a nice one. 
I've been dining out on that for fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No one. And no one no checks. One, yeah, well, of course not. Exactly. You could probably still have it. You know, it's fine. So yeah, we go to our first match: is Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels in an God an eighteen and a half minute match. Didn't realise it was that long either. Can we just say I'm gutted that the scheduled match between the British Bulldog and the Berserker didn't go ahead, <laughs> and, and, that, and that the Beverly Brothers versus the Bushwhackers was just a dark match. <laughs> now that one, I can say. With a completely straight face, I'm very glad was not on this show. <laughs> Do you know the the Beverly Brothers is such a weird one. I I, I go into this. I'll I'll basically highlight these people throughout we go. But I'd say the Berserker and the Beverly Brothers, in my mind, have got a much higher status than they than they <laughs> than they have because again, I remember having really getting it really mag getting magazines getting everything now and then like like they're gone within like six months. <laughs> That's it. It just happens to be that they were on this show that I'm like, oh yeah, massive Beverly Brothers. Remember they were amazing. Not amazing, but they were massive. No one was like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're rubbish. <laughs> they're rubbish. They were around for about three months. <laughs> yes. This one goes for 18 and a half minutes. It ends when Tito tries to slam Sean into the ring, but Michaels holds onto the top rope and comes down onto Santana and then gets the pin. Tom, what do you think of this one? I remember this match being really boring, and it is. <laughs> generally like the big I was, this, there's one word that I one phrase I'd use to describe this as rest holds this match is 18 minutes long and I think about 16 of them are headlocks and chinlocks it's so boring and I can remember even at the time finding it boring being like gosh what is this and then the baddie wins nah not interested <laughs> that was my perspective as a as a eight-year-old and that's my perspective now still um a couple who, of times, who's who says you've had no personal growth Tom Exactly. Um, my personal highlight is probably uh, Sensational Sherry just being great on the outside. Sensational Sherry singing the theme music, which is just lovely to hear as well. It's not a great match. I expect, even now, I expect better for them. Shawn Michaels, this is when his finishing move was a side suplex, I believe, as well, or a side slam. It was, the, he... it was a strange move. It was, it was the, what do they call it? It was a special type of suplex. And I can't remember what it's called now. Damn it. I, I thought I wrote it down. Suplex? Sidewinder suplex. Yeah. That's it. And, and he kind of grabbed them. Uh, no, I, and you know what? I don't think I've ever seen it done. No. That's the weird thing. I don't think I've ever seen it done. The only time I've seen it done is on the Mega Drive game Super WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think he used to grab them almost like between grab their perineum and oh. then and then lift them up and suplex them over his head i think that yeah. that's what i think it's like but as i said i don't think i've ever actually seen it done but he does hit what's he called it a reverse crescent kick i'm so glad you said oh. that <laughs> <laughs> which is is a you know a sign of things to come i mean i must admit sweet chin music is probably a better name than a sign of crescent <laughs> kick i always thought what sweet chin music was like slang for like coming on someone's chin I don't know if that's. Of course you did. Of course you did. That's what I think it would be. You know what I mean? I bet you that is. I guarantee that is is what you think it would be. That's right. Yeah, it's definitely. (laughs) That's definitely an inside joke from Shawn Michaels. That's definitely what he's called it. But no, this is not very good. The finish is a bit poor as well. Just like a. An awkward body slam attempt over the top rope and then fall and just a straight pinfall. It's not it's not particularly great and it's not particularly exciting and this this match isn't isn't very good for me. I don't think it's gonna end up on your dirty list, is it, Tinky? <laughs> no, certainly not. Although I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was actually quite decent. And I think if you're gonna give me an eighteen minute match where there's some rest holds and it's a little bit slower and you're not going mad. Give it to me on the first match. I, I'm, I'll happily do that. You don't need it from these guys, though. No, you're, you're probably right. You, you could probably give anybody that gig, and they could go out and do it because it, it didn't take them too much. But what I like about 
wrestlers like Shawn Michaels and Tito Santana at this time is that they could do this they could do the slower matches but just take it up a notch every now and again just give you something just give you a little something I, I said before and I'll say it again this is a period where Shawn Michaels still isn't quite there yeah. still doesn't quite hasn't quite got to the level he would eventually get to probably a couple of years away from it at this point and I think this shows here but I I, I didn't I didn't mind it there were a few there are a few bits and pieces that were maybe questionable and that did make me raise an eyebrow. So, for example, the referee's um, moustache. I who is know, this referee? I didn't notice that at all. You're no idea right. who this referee is. Never seen him before. <laughs> never seen him again. And he's got an awful moustache. Roger Ruffin is his name, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Monsoon says he likes Santana's music, which is quite cool to start. <laughs> I do. Then, and then Bobby Heenan whistles along to HBK's theme, as as was his wont. Then Monsoon, this was interesting. I haven't read any more about this, and I wanted to, and I completely forgot about it. Is that Monsoon and Heenan, uh, uh, they start talking about a traffic problem that had happened outside the venue, saying that the place will eventually be packed out. But I didn't notice any gaps, but they seem to be trying to kind of excuse the fact that there were gaps. And I wondered whether or not that plays into some of the, like this is a, the first WrestleMania that's, certainly since WrestleMania one or two, I think there's less than three hours. And I was like, oh, why, why is that? That seems interesting. I wondered whether that played into it. They don't talk about it again. And I didn't do any further reading, which I meant to, but that, that was interesting. Then Monsoon oh, says, so, sorry, go, go back to the length of the, of the, of the pay-per-view two hours, 40 or whatever. God, I was happy. I was so happy. <laughs> and there's, there's a, there's a marked difference between this and the last WrestleMania that we saw, which is the number of matches. And I was like, oh, thank God, there's only like 10 matches on it rather than 85, which there are in WrestleMania 5. <laughs> then there was a comment from Gorilla Monsoon. Who do you think does her makeup? Helen Keller? Talking about Sherry. <laughs> and finally, there was a sign in the crowd. Talk is cheap. So is she. That was the uh, another allusion to Sherry, unfortunately, for her. Uh, yeah, I know it's know the fact that obviously he does the crescent kick. Not yet. The sweet cheer music won't be sweet cheer music for another two and a half years yet, I don't believe. But he does use it quite a lot during that period. Yeah, I thought this was pretty decent. Matt? Um, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much on the, on the same opinion of you there, really, Ben. This was this was all right. I, I, I did expect a little bit more. I think I was probably thinking of the... I think I was probably thinking a little bit you know, further ahead of the Shawn Michaels more in the future, which is probably why my expectations were a little bit higher, I suppose. But for, for a match that at least for a good while was basically a headlock versus a chin lock, you know, they, they did quite a lot with that. I actually felt they did some imaginative stuff and some decent stuff with the headlock. Like at one point, I think it was Tito sort of dragged Sean um, out to the ring. And I was like, oh, through a headlock. That was kind of cool. But yeah, it, it was quite a lot of type, you know, sort of stalling stuff like that. You know, we, we, we've all mentioned the uh, the reverse crescent kick. I got a big kick out of that when I heard that. Um, yeah, the finish was a bit, uh, a bit clunky, I suppose. But other than that, yeah, it, it was fine. It was a decent little starter. Now, talking of stalling, so the match between the British Bulldog and the Berserker didn't happen due to time constraints, but maybe it would have had, oh. would have happened if they hadn't done the next thing. So Dean Oakland is on the arena floor and it introduces the Legion of Doom, who come out in front of the crowd along with, they're along with Paul Ellering. This is Paul Ellering's apparently his first kind of appearance in the WWE, and the fans react to him 
accordingly, i.e. they have no idea who the fuck he is, which is understandable because they did, they probably didn't watch the NWA when the Legion of Doom were big stars over there. He talks about the fact that he's a bad apple and that he bought the LOD together. He sounds like Sergeant Slaughter doing an Ultimate Warrior promo is what I've written here. So his, hmm. his tone of voice was quite Sergeant Slaughter, but his, his words sounded as Very if he was the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Animal says that Jimmy Hart is the lowest scum of all. Hawk says they've been a runaway train with nobody driving it, but says they're scarier now that they have Paul Ellering steering them. I'm not sure what the purpose of this was. And as I said, my guess was stalling, but I don't know why. And again, I wondered whether this was about the problems, the traffic problems that Monsoon and Heenan had alluded to earlier in the show. Is this really the best use of the Legion of Doom? They're not. They didn't have a match later on. Like this is this is all they do on the entire card, and it's like why they put them in the match against the Beverly Brothers? It'd be a classic. Like it'd be, it'd be absolutely wonderful. Like I did. I didn't know. And it's, you're right, Tinky. No one knows who the fuck Paul Allen was. I remember at the time thinking who's this bloke? Who's this bloke? And then what is really weird about the promo is that they all go twice. So it goes Ellering, Animal, Hawk, back to Ellering, back to Animal, back to Hawk again. So they do two rounds of promos in one. And it's just very bizarre. One thing that did occur to me, though, is that I must admit, I was quite impressed by the fact that they somehow, after years of being the Road Warriors, are able to refer to themselves as the Legion of Doom and not slip once. Because I would be all over the shop. I'd be like, hello, now the Legion of Warriors of Doom. And you know what I mean? I'd, I'd have a fucking nightmare. I mean, I would call my daughter the fucking cat's name all the time. So Christ knows what I'd be doing. The idea of having a wrestler and having a gimmick change and trying to remember what your name is, what your new name is, would be absolutely disastrous. They didn't, it wasn't quite as clear cut as that, Tom. So we found this out, I can't remember how long ago now, but some time ago. They've been into changing those two names all through their career. Uh, so it wasn't quite I always thought the same as you I always thought they were Legion of Doom in WWE Road Warriors elsewhere and that just wasn't the case they were both everywhere they've been but were they still Road Warrior Hawk and Road Warrior Animal in WWE yes. as well which yeah. was made it really strange the other thing though I do quite like is that uh Animal keeps talking about the little doomers, which is just a lovely, <laughs> lovely way to describe them. For, for a team that is supposedly so badass, referring to their fans as doomers is, is quite cute. The, the little doomer just sounds like a dick reference anyway. Oh, I can master think about dicks all the time now, aren't you? It's outrageous. <laughs> it just does. The little doomer. I don't, I picked a little doomer out of the fucking bath just now. <laughs> That's all that was. Any thoughts on this, Matt? It just went really long. <laughs> it was really long, and it was just really dull. Like, yeah, this did absolutely nothing for me. It just dragged on forever, yeah. Maybe there were some traffic problems, but Christ, next time, do something else. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else. Put put the British Bulldog and, and uh, Berserker in there. Oh, Please. God, I'd love that. As we've said before, Berserker in early days of nxt would be so over <laughs> wouldn't he with his with his oh hot, yeah hot hot yeah, hot definitely people would love it massive cult following you'd have yeah brilliant so then we get the next match is the undertaker versus jake the snake roberts a six and a half minute match which ends when taker grabs jake tombstones him outside of the ring then rolls him in and gets the pin matt what did you make of this one this was fascinating to watch this is but particularly having now seen 
allegedly the Undertaker's final <laughs> wrestling match. I say allegedly, because hell, you never know. But yeah, to to be able to see it, to see him from this early to all the way through, that yeah, this this was really interesting. His entrance still still does hold up as, as something quite cool, to be honest. So that, that was a good start. And, and like you said earlier, you know, the the first couple of matches uh, is pretty much just the showcase of guys for the future. <laughs> we definitely know how the Undertaker's future ended up in WWE, but. They certainly give it a damn good go here. I don't want to say it was a squash match because it definitely wasn't a squash, but it, it was close to one in the sense of, you know, they, they gave Undertaker a lot. Um, You know, Jake did a lot for him. The Tombstone, I, it's one of those that, that even by the standard of back then, I'm amazed that it's a move that, that they even use because it, it still, to me, looks pretty devastating. So it was a great little move for, for them to use. Glad they did it. Take a one with his finish. Can't ask them more than that. Absolutely fantastic. What 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 a you know great start for the Undertaker and for for his run. What will become his run basically? That's funny because I I've got one word for this match and it's a boring. <laughs> <laughs> this this is Undertaker in his like slow plodding methodical boring phase I'll say, which went on for quite a while. Now he still does. Hit like he still does come off the ropes quite nicely at times in this, which is for a man of his size is always impressive, but it is quite dull. The thing that I did really like is how much the commentary team in particular, but also they did it in the match as well, put over the DDT as being an absolute it's the only thing that gets the Undertaker down in the entire match is when he hits him with the DDT. Obviously he then sits up from it, but it was it was still pretty cool. I quite did quite like the fact that he the under he being the Undertaker tombstones Jake Roberts outside of the ring and then rolls him in and pins him because you don't again like like without wanting to be again that that old the old guy yelling at the clouds it's that kind of thing that you don't now there'd be a kick out after that yeah. whereas there's nowhere there should be because as you said matt the tombstone was such a devastating finish that by doing it outside on the inverted commas concrete rather than on the on the ring should mean that someone's locked out knocked out for longer than they than they would be therefore it's easier to get a pin on them so yeah, it wasn't great, but there was a couple of elements to it that I that I did appreciate. Anyway, well, I was gonna say I, I I do love how they do the old like oh they did it on the concrete floor, but yes there was a mat there. Yeah, <laughs> no. and we can see that there's a mat there, so he <laughs> yeah. didn't do it on the concrete, did he? <laughs> that was one of the things I loved when when Jim Ross kind of started getting involved because he would be like yeah there are pads there but they offer no protection and you're like oh okay well, that makes a bit more sense. You know, it's not just like someone being like, it'd be like me being like, oh, I'm sat on a spike right now. You know, yeah. you're, not, you're sat on a chair. It's absolutely fine. The padding really does is there. We can sit. Although, we'll sit. to be honest, now that I think about that, this is slightly off topic a little bit, but it does bring back. I do remember Jim Ross making a, a comment once. He, he called the outside the soft side. And I've never forgotten it. Um, and if anybody wants to check this out, to double check to see if I'm wrong, I swear to God, I'm sure he said soft side. It was, I think it was The Rock giving a rock bottom to Shane McMahon at SummerSlam 2001. And I'm sure he said he did it on the soft side. And I just thought, why the fuck did you say that? <laughs> that I've never forgotten that. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it too much. I thought this was okay. I mean, like it was six and a half minutes. I mean, what's what's not to like? I mean, it didn't last too long. I think that again, for me, this makes up that that trinity of matches that this show's really about. You know, in terms of what actually matters coming out of it is these three victories, and this is another significant victory for the Undertaker. They've now decided 
that he's after this point he becomes effectively the main upper mid card guy that would have babyface fights against you know monsters basically monster of the week each each time kamala giant gonzalez and so on and so forth and obviously Shawn michaels has just beaten tito santana and from this point on Shawn michaels would become a contender for the intercontinental title and and whatnot brett obviously would win the the wwf title later in the year so this, this is all yes. these these three guys are being elevated in this moment, in this in this show. And this is The Undertaker's moment. He's already beaten Snooker at WrestleMania, and he then beats Jake Roberts here. Now, I was thinking about this a little bit because there's another big talking point of this show, which I think is worth bringing up here. And we've discussed it before. We discussed it on the Rumble 92 episode. And I think we also discussed, discussed it on the SummerSlam 91 episode, which is the alternatives that could have been at this show. WrestleMania oh, yeah, eight. I thought about this. Yeah, because there's so much that could have been different, starting, of course, with Hulk Hogan versus Flair, which was surely the original plan for WrestleMania eight. In fact, we're pretty certain it was the reported reason they didn't go with it is that they didn't do well on the house show circuit, Hogan and Flair, that the, the figures that they brought in just weren't weren't as impressive as they were looking for that can't i i don't know i think part of me thinks that can't be down to a lack of interest i think some extenuating circumstances behind that well i think it's just in line with what was happening overall to the company the company was actually in decline and i think when you look at the pay-per-view buy rate for this so this is the lowest pay-per-view buys for a wrestlemania since wrestlemania 2 and wrestlemania 2 would have been for a reduced pay-per-view mm. audience at the time, so would bless people with pay-per-view. It's actually got a lower buy rate than the next two WrestleManias as well, WrestleMania 8, which is quite, which is not something I hadn't realised. Less WrestleMania, it's got less buys for, than those two. It's not a successful pay-per-view. This is the one of the least successful WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania 8. So it it already suggests that the company are in decline, and that it kind of puts a little bit of a twist on the idea as well that that the real decline came when. Brett and Sean and The Undertaker were the stars when actually the truth was that the decline had already come. You know, Hogan, Hogan's time had run. And that was quite clear from this. Now, that wasn't the only reason this was a low buy rate. Let's not forget that the you'd had the ring, the ring boy scandal that had happened in, I think, 1990. Then the, there was a big scandal. You're going to have to read up about this, Tom, because I can't go into the details too much. And not now, Tom, because it'll take you too long. You'll get distracted. But <laughs> there's a whole scandal involving Ring Boys, sexual sexual abuse scandal. I think Pat Patterson was actually involved in it as well, or in some way. He was one of the ones that were accused. So anyway, you're going to have to read about that on your own time, Tom, not now. I can see you <laughs> read it. Stop. <laughs> Such a prick. Yeah. Then you've got in 1991 the whole negative publicity that WWF got from the Hogan Sergeant Slaughter stuff and the Iraq War cash in. Then we've got the the fact that the steroid scandal is now starting to come into viewpoint in 92. Hogan wants out as a consequence. Also, Hogan's trying to stay whiter than white. So he's you notice his body is a little bit less muscular during the show. Definitely. I noticed that. And again, that's due to the fact that he's coming off the steroids so as to avoid any of the uh, any of the fallout of this whole scandal. So all that's going on, plus that peak period had run its course. You know, if you were a fan in 1987, say you were 11 years old, let's say in 1987, massively into it. By this point, you were 16. You were probably not watching anymore. You know, as crazy as it sounds from three guys who are in their 30s, some of who are very close to being 40 in the next couple of years, saying that most people don't get past their sort of certainly 
11 12 13 14 year old self carrying on watching wrestling it doesn't happen in a lot of cases maybe it's happening more and more as time goes on but certainly certainly the people that we me and tom would have gone to school with at the time would have been losing interest at, at specific specific ages fucking cowards <laughs> you, still, you see you chat to them they're like oh you, you people of that age are like oh wrestling yeah oh yeah 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 it's stone cold stone cold i used to like you you know you know the rock you know stone cold yeah, i used to like them you're like you fucking asshole you know what you're doing <laughs> you're patronizing me <laughs> conversation so all those things were amounting to the fact that wf was general business was in trouble so i think that's why hogan and flair suffered on the house show circuit and i don't think it would have done any worse than the pay-per-view buys that this one got so that that would have that could and probably would have been the main event now there was a certain a certain point we discussed this on the SummerSlam 91 uh, episode that we don't we predicted or guessed that maybe savage wouldn't have come out of retirement as early as he did after his wrestlemania 7 loss had it not been for the fact that the warrior was sacked by wwf straight after SummerSlam 91 uh, if had that not happened, it's likely that Savage wouldn't have come out of retirement because Warrior's program was after that was due to be with Jake Roberts. But having had that happen, they then transitioned Roberts to a feud with Savage, which seemed obviously to be something that should have culminated at this show. So it should have probably been Savage and Roberts. Should have probably been Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, but Jannetty equally, I think, had got sacked by the company for being... <laughs> <laughs> an idiot and get that so time. many times is ridiculous so you've got all of that going on makes Go you on. think sorry tinky but like say for example if the undertaker then had a match say if they did savage versus roberts and the undertaker had a match against the berserker or skinner well, this is, and before won, you go any further this is what i was going to say is that the Undertaker? I don't think would have turned babyface by this point had some of those things not happened. They only turned him babyface so that he could face Jake Roberts because he had no one left for Roberts now because he was because Savage had to face Flair because Flair wasn't facing Hogan. So all these stuff, all this stuff is sliding out of place. And I think Undertaker would have faced Sid, who I don't think would have turned heel to face Hogan had they gone with Hogan Flair. And I think Undertaker would have lost. And I don't think we would have had the streak as a consequence. So that's what I was coming to is this is a bit of a sliding doors moment. There's so many matches that are moving around here. And obviously they're not thinking about anything to do with a streak at this point. They wouldn't be thinking about that for a number of years until someone pointed out the coincidence. So it could have very much gone a different way because I do believe that that's possible that that would have happened. And I think, as I said, I think if Sid and the Undertaker are facing each other, Sid being a baby face, I don't think he'd have lost the Undertaker. Is there, is there anything to be said for the marketing of the show as, as, as well? You know, the fact that they, they were promoting it as two main events, you know, because like I noticed that, you know, when you know watching the show, they were very heavy on the, that there's not a specific main, it's the two joint main events. And realistically, I've always felt that people tend to buy, will buy a pay-per-view for the top down. They, they tend to go for the main event and everything else is gravy, basically. So do you reckon there's anything to that? The fact that there was no specific decisive main event? I think that's I think that's very possibly true. I think that might have been that might have had an impact as well. I think there were lots of reasons why WrestleMania 8 was one of the least successful WrestleManias. Main I think mainly is just the circumstance they've they've got to that point now where they're not as big and they've had all this scandal that's kind of following them at this point in time. Yeah, and Hulk Hogan's still obviously their biggest name, but he's not in the title picture. So therefore, by default, they almost have to split and call it a double main event, don't they? By doing that. 
I also wonder, like they they talked about, I think Bruce Pritchard talked about the fact that they weren't happy with the house show business that Hogan and Flair had done. But I also wonder about the fact that Hogan's leaving after this show, doesn't want to stick around for a little while. He's entirely self-serving. He's trying to get out of the picture. He's trying to get out of the picture ahead of the steroid scandal stuff that's coming down the line. So he's trying to get out of there. So I'm wondering whether at that time WWF said to themselves, well, we can't have Hogan uh, beat Flair for the title because he's leaving, but we can't have Flair beat Hogan because we don't end WrestleMania with a heel winning. We don't do that. And you can't have, unlike some other pay-per-views, which they did do this, you cannot have the main event not go on last at WrestleMania. The, the, the last match at WrestleMania really has to be the main event. So that's another factor I think they might have been thinking is we can't, neither of those finishes work for us in this scenario. So we have to go in different ways for both of them. Also, it doesn't matter. I've never, never seen any explanation for why, because the, the, one of the build for Hogan and Sid, and I know we're going on to that a little bit early, and we won't, I won't go into the match, but one of the build for Hogan and Sid is the announcement of who the number one contender is and it's announced as hogan i've never seen any explanation for why he didn't end up taking that in the storyline mm. <laughs> do you know what i mean no. i don't <laughs> again something they just decided not to resolve i think well what they could have done think about it now is they could have put maybe had hogan and flair go on second to last and have you know the flair win and hogan go out or sad and then you know as a pickup they could have had bulldog go over berserker at the end <laughs> and that would have sent all the fans home happy yeah i mean you got a good point there mate you got a good point yeah. that would have been a perfect way to to roll to to wrap this all up anyway that's the uh, that's the Undertaker Jake Roberts match, and those three matches for me, I got got to the end of these first three matches, and I thought, okay, this has been a really tidy first three matches. I've really enjoyed that, and as I said, I really kind of looked at it and went, well, they are looking to the future in a way that previously they'd never done before. Like this was not the way they did WrestleManias in the past. Usually, your established stars would get the victory um, over the ones that were coming up. And to be fair, they're all reasonably tidy. Hmm tidy matches like they're not, not the most exciting but they're none of them like i said the, the the undertaker matches are boring and it is a little bit boring because i find the undertaker's work style at this time quite boring but like you said six minutes it can't be that bad if it's only that long and it's been yeah i kind of with you i'm like hello i'm ready for i'm ready for a, a great match to happen next well the other thing about the undertaker style i mean it is awful but we've spoke about this before it's deliberately slow it's to match the the character and i think the undertaker himself has spoken about how he was desperate to work faster smart style but was told if you do you'll you'll lose the aura of the character at the time and i think i think that's right i think that this worked really well for this character this time in point in time. yeah next bobby heenan says he has a big surprise for everyone the latest member of the world bodybuilding federation live via satellite the total package lex luger Luger says the standards have been great except for the fat man monsoon next to him. Luger then does some promotion for the B uh, w, uh, the WBF and their coming shows. Luger then snaps his fingers and is delivered a glass of milk, which he then <laughs> proceeds to down to show his manliness. <laughs> it's a small glass of milk. It's like a wine glass, isn't it? like a small wine glass of milk. And then what I like about it is that uh, old um old Bobby Heenan is just gasping for him to take his incredible sweater off I might add as well he's got a wonderful jumper on takes off he's got a very weird vest on underneath it's just a very strange quite homoerotic 
but at the same time, quite sad moment in the middle of this card. And what I also liked about it is, I don't know if you guys thought this, but it seemed to me that the the, the interaction between Bobby Heenan and Lex Luger seemed so off that I can only assume that the Lex Luger stuff was pre-taped. Yeah. And and obviously he's uh, obviously <laughs> Bobby's just chatting to a video. <laughs> it's just really weird. Yeah, I think you're right there. I out of curiosity looked up the WBF's weekly show called Body Stars. The debut episode happened, I believe, the week on, weekend of WrestleMania 8. Um, it's about half an hour long. It is completely rubbish. It's basically just a bodybuilding instructor show, basically, a magazine-style show, hosted by some woman I can't remember the name of, and Vince McMahon. <laughs> And uh, Vince and they're in a gym. They're in a gym together doing weights and stuff like in a very kind of magazine style kind of way. They have a couple of their big stars uh, in the WBF kind of do little bits of talking to camera and giving advice on fitness and how to build muscles and whatnot. There's a couple of appearances from Lex Luger. First one where he just walks across the camera. The second one where he's lurking in the background. And it's it's bizarre to think that Vince thought anyone gave a fuck about this shit. It really is. It's, it's madness. They talk about the fact that they'd had the first WBF championship a show which had taken place the previous year i think the guy who won it was called gary strider i think his name or something like that he would go on to win the second one that the hope was that vince was hoping to get both lex luger and uh lou ferino as well into yeah. the uh, into the second one unfortunately though uh couldn't get the deal done with lou ferino and lex luger had an injury because of a motorcycle accident, I believe, and didn't compete in the WBF in the end at all, even though that's exactly what he was signed for by Vince to do, was to go into the WBF. Wasn't being signed to be a wrestler, was being signed to be a bodybuilder into the WBF. So, yeah, not the um, not the, the most successful adventures, but great to see it here in all its glory. So we got to talk about it for a few minutes. It, it, it sounds awful. Like, was anybody like, Vince, what are you doing? No one cares. Probably. Probably, but he didn't care, did he? And I, you know, I was thinking about this. If I think the second WBF pay per view drew three thousand buys, which is pitiful, staggering. Right? Really, it's, it's better than TNA, most of TNAs, but it's still pitiful. But I, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I bet it didn't cost him that much. It certainly didn't lose him anywhere near as much money, for example, as the XFL would have done. Because if if bodybuilding could only kind of attract you know, a handful of thousand people to a pay-per-view then the the stars of the bodybuilding wouldn't have been earning huge amounts of money for vince to draw them in anyway to get them to get them to work for him well he would have signed them from other bodybuilding federations yeah. wouldn't he? so he would exactly. have he would have un, he would have spent more on them than the other organizations sure have. sure but like he wouldn't he wouldn't have been using like millions and millions i would imagine unlike when he did the xfl and lost goodness knows how much money He's a man who's only good at promoting wrestling, but desperately wants to be better at doing other things. Because he's a strange man. Yeah, such a strange man. I I don't know if the two feel sorry for Vince McMahon gets used often, but like in in a kind of strange way, I, I did feel a little bit of, I suppose, a little bit of sympathy for him during the second time he attempted the XFL because this, I, I just, I generally think the pandemic killed that dead. Not to say that it wouldn't have been killed dead anyway, but that's pretty much why it failed. What is not dead? First, it's, right. it's still going, isn't it? The rock's involved. The in rock's it now. now the rock's it it crazy, is, it? but yeah, well, but basically, he sold it to the rock, didn't he? So because yeah. the pandemic but, killed his version of it. 
but he fucked it in the first iteration of it as well, didn't he? When he launched it in like '99. Totally get that. Totally get that. But yeah, I, just, I fell for him. I, I fell for him that it didn't work out the second how time. How can you? How can you feel for a man who forget all? No, before I go anywhere, forget all of his characteristics. Forget what he's like. Let's say he's the nicest guy in the world. He's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Who gives a fuck if he loses a load of it? <laughs> like, seriously, who gives a fuck? I mean, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over it or anything like that, but I just, I just felt, I felt a little bit of sympathy. Crazy. Right, anyway, moving on. Um, That's the polar bear. The polar bear, he, he may be wearing his Bret Hart t-shirt, but he's still a polar <laughs> bear. <laughs> Next time we get the Mountie, the Nasty Boys and Repo Man getting all excited before the eight-man tag match that's to come. Then we also get Sergeant Slaughter, Virgil, Big Boss Man and Jim Duggan cut some pretty standard promos all excited before this big eight-man tag match. Well, the face promo sets us all it perfectly so they say this isn't gonna be pretty there's not gonna be any wrestling holds don't expect anything flashy we're just gonna fight and i was like do you know what that you've set your stall out there i knew what i was gonna get anyway but at least i like they like that they acknowledge it they're honest yeah they're honest with themselves and with us which is lovely and we appreciate it and again going back to what i said about thinking people were bigger deals than they actually were <laughs> i'm thinking virgil i'm thinking the repo man and I'm thinking the Nasty Boys. So, they're, they're, again, people that I always thought were bigger deals than they actually were. Then Howard Finkel introduces Ray Combs, the, ho- the host of Family Feud, a special guest ring announcer from the next match. Now, Family Feud is the equivalent to Family Fortunes in the UK. And uh, Ray Combs, we have encountered previously on the podcast because he also did the guest ring announcing for the Survivor Series 1993 match between the Hearts and Michaels and his Knights. I think, Matt, you were on that as well, weren't you? I think so, yeah. Were you? I think it was one of his first ones. I tried to keep up with what he was saying. And so I wrote the first jibe down, which he said that he asked 100 people in the audience to describe the Mountie. And they said a man who doesn't know the meaning of the word fear, but there's very few words that he does understand or something like something to that effect. <laughs> and then he made oh. similar jibes about each of the competitors on the heel side of the, the aisle. I mean, to call this shit... Would be would be very <laughs> kind, I think. Like, I believe just... I believe Ray Combs got a a far gentle response the last time he was on the show from possibly from old man. And do you know what? Actually, I don't think you were on the show, Matt. But for some reason, I got it in my head you were. Maybe you were. Can't remember. Yeah. You should know better than me. I've done them all. So <laughs> yeah, I got to tell Brendan. Nearly all of them. I mean, there are about three I've missed. I know. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I would have thought this would be read right up your guy's street, this this type of humour. It's just I, it's, I didn't mind this. I didn't I, mind this. It, it, I just think it's just a bit like I don't know. It was <laughs> yeah, a bit shit. A little bit shit. <laughs> usually usually it would it would make me laugh, but I'm too busy waiting to get into this action between some of these massive names that are a huge part of WWF history. <laughs> so yes, the the match that you're talking about, Tom, is an eight man tag match. It's Big Boss Man Virgil, Sergeant Storer and Jim Duggan Duggan against the Mountie, the Nasty Boys, and Repo Man. So the match goes for six and a half minutes, and it ends when the match breaks down, all of them in the ring. The hills start to come out on top until Sags accidentally hits Knobs with something, and Virgil gets the pin. Exactly. The big deal, Virgil himself, with his face mask on. Now, I must admit, this match kind of exceeded my expectations a little bit, because I wasn't expecting much from it. And I was also at the same time caramelizing some onions. So I didn't have my entire focus <laughs> on it. But I can remember watching it and being like, that was all right. I'm glad everyone gets their little moment to have a little you know, a little scrap in the ring. Virgil is uncharacteristically charismatic, I thought, in this match. 
you know, compared for him with his meat sauce. But yeah, it was it was exactly what you expected it to be. They they set the tone of the match in the pre-match interview. You know, it was going to be a bit of an ugly mess, and that was kind of what it was. If you didn't pay much attention, Tom, that means that you probably missed the best bit of the match. Oh, what's that? Which is when Bobby Heenan very quickly says, oh, I've got some breaking news. Oh, yeah, I know. I listened to it. I could hear that of it, yeah. Shawn Michaels has just left the building, <laughs> which <laughs> was, yeah, I know he did it a number of times. Absolutely love it. But I love the fact that he gave the monsoon has the exact same reaction as anyone else. He's just like, who cares? And he's like, what? I've got my sources. They're telling me that Shawn Michaels has left the building. Well, you stop, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Lovely old job. What um what was the phrase that you used earlier, Tom, to to talk when you were talking about the commentary or how would think I used to say it was Coco something? Or it was Coco, Coco Beach, Florida. That's it. That that sort of, you know, up and down type that, that that in a way is how I kind of felt this match went. It was kind of up and down, up and down, like it was a it was a bit of fun actually. And if I can say this about some of the people in it, considering, you know, it's got the likes of Repo Man, it kinda of felt like an almost an all-star lineup. <laughs> it's, it's, I know it's kind of what springs to mind. I mean, when you think of the cast of characters, it to me it did come across like that. There were bits of it that were a bit boring, but like any sort of multi-tag match, when they all get in there, you know, they all get in and do their shit. It, it's, it was all right, and it was actually quite entertaining. And I actually thought this was one of the better matches on the show, so I, I quite enjoyed this. You've um, you've been fallen foul to Tom's propaganda about these being big stars, haven't you? I can tell. <laughs> I know, oh God, I know they're not, but like it, it, you know, when you, I don't know what it is, but when, when you see them, they like doing their promos. I was like, oh, these, these are big deals. These are the Repo Man. He's a big deal. Going to test your knowledge now, Matt. Okay. See how, see how much you've been paying attention. So first of all, the Mountie. In what guys have we previously seen the Mountie? I know, I know. I know you know Tom. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, pff, for the life of me, I'm not going to remember that. So he is Jacques Rougeau from the Rougeau okay. Brothers. Um, and Repo Man has also yeah. previously appeared on a number of occasions on oh, previous shit. WrestleManias as someone else. I've noticed that either. You get he's one half of the greatest tag team ever. Smash from ever. Demolition. Oh, well, there's a reason I'm going to have purposely forgotten that. <laughs> no, you just said he was a really big deal. So don't, <laughs> don't give me that. Tell, though, it, is, it is actually funny. I think you, Matt raises a really kind of valid point about the um the star power of this match no of the of the kind of cast of characters in this match because you you look at it and it does look like two teams of cartoons against yeah. each other isn't it you've got your, your your policeman you've got your kind of all american man you've got your your uh army guy your army guy and then you've got virgil and then you've got like uh, you know, a Mountie, uh, a, a repo man with with who's been ran over, and a and the last and like a street gang. Do you know what I mean? It is quite a colourful. And then you've got a little Jimmy Hart on the outside with a wonderful coat on. His coat is magnificent. It's just got all the name. It's got WrestleMania Eight written on it. It's got all the names of all the wrestlers he manages. It's glorious. I would Good. wear that now. I don't think there's much to say about this match. It was fine. It's over. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Do you want to hear Next... about the, the onions I was caramelising? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm all right. Maybe maybe another time. I'll cook it for you once, mate. You'll love it. That'd be lovely. So... Next, we have Shawn Michaels with Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Perfect says they have the photo of Liz that they Sean will Booney. put up. Sorry? Yeah, he said, said Michaels. Michaels. 
Have I? I can't yeah, get left the building at this point, mate. <laughs> I've already called him. I've already called him Sean Morley. Now he's Sean Michaels <laughs> as well. So we've got Sean Mooney with Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Perfect says that they have the photo of Liz that they will put on the big screen. He says it's time for Randy Savage to walk the aisle and says Elizabeth has one more chance with Space Mountain. Woo! Yes. Uh, then we have Gene Oakland outside Savage's locker room. He says that Savage is not talking to anybody prior to the WWF title match. And then we get the title match, which we've already discussed. Made me feel a little bit sad that they didn't do the whole Austin yelling through the door. <laughs> this is someone else as a translator, because I love that. Elizabeth. Elizabeth yeah. is trying to translate So after all the Flair Savage stuff, we then get footage of the WrestleMania 8 press conference naming Hogan the number one contender for the world title. Vicious getting angry and doing some great acting standing oh. up before the announcement's made and then getting all upset i'm being facetious matt don't don't get too excited um <laughs> vicious then <laughs> leaves hogan out to dry during a tag match against i believe the undertaker and okay. someone uh, flair thank you yeah sorry um and then we see sid uh, smashing up the barbershop I can remember at the time being like, why? <laughs> why are you doing it, Sid? That was so great. <laughs> they then did Sid beating a series of jobbers. Um, and then also Virgil was one of those jobbers. But there was one bit where he threw a guy onto a, he had a guy on a kind of a, a, a stretcher and rolled him against the ring, yeah. which was yeah. quite cool. And for the time, pro- quite probably quite violent. Yeah, I can remember at the time being scared. <laughs> I tell you, the, the best bit of all of that, though, was watching him destroy the barbershop and just get, like, what was it, like, shaving foam or hair gel or whatever on his face. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure that was is what his intention was, but just it was friggin' hilarious just to see him look all serious and just have all this white shit cover his face. I was like, that's just great. I just think it's a shame that afterwards Beefcake didn't go, oh, just paid to have that window redone. That's what I was thinking. The glazers in, uh, you know, in in Stamford must have been. They must have been on speed dial from WWF. So <laughs> then we get Sean Mark. Then we get Sean. Oh, Sean <laughs> <laughs> then we get Sean Mooney with Rick Martel. Martel says that. So before I should go back a step. What does he say? <laughs> I, I will. I should go back a step before I say this. So first of all, there's a there's a tribe of Native Americans in the ring, dancing around the ring, doing some kind of war dance. So we then go to Sean Mooney, who is with Rick Martel. Martel says that the Native Americans who are in the ring, he doesn't say that, but I've changed the name that he causes calls them, have no class or style, and when he gets the ring, he'll need to disinfect the ring with arrogance, his his cologne. He says he's heard Tatanka is still outside the arena scalping tickets. Mm, yeah, I don't think they're all Native Americans, you know. I don't think that's a real tribe that they had dancing around. No, you don't. You don't. You think they were a kayfabe tribe? I'm pretty sure one of them might be Barry Horowitz. Possible one of them is Chief J Strongbow, who also wasn't a real Native American. No, he was Italian, wasn't he? What? Yeah, yeah I know. Oh. Sorry, sorry to bring that to you, mate. Yokozuna was also Polynesian. What? <laughs> he wasn't really oh. Japanese. What? Yeah. And get this right: neither the Big Moss Man or the Mountie had any proper right to wear a law enforcement uniform. What the f- How are they wearing police uniform otherwise? Come on, man. That's they, nonsense. They should have been First, arrested. Officer, yeah. <laughs> well, Mountie did get arrested and then he got bummed, didn't he? <laughs> That's true. Did you say bumped or bummed? <laughs> you heard what I said. <laughs> Go back and listen to SummerSlam 1991. You'll uh, understand more. It's an insinuation. Okay. 
That leads us to the next match, Rick Martel versus Tatanka. The, before the match, the Native American tribe are still dancing in the ring. Then, uh, as as the match progresses, I literally, was this was so short and not interesting that I, I thought I'd add this bit in. Gorilla Monsoon shouts at Bobby Heenan, you're a liar, four times in a row without saying anything else. <laughs> Bobby Heenan's trying to speak, and he's just like, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. It's great stuff. It's very um, much something match- like Ian Holloway would do, isn't it? Possibly. It's four and a half minutes in length, and Tatanga wins with a crossbody. God bless him, but... Google the term nothing match and <laughs> this would be it. I thought about our fallen comrade a lot during this match, actually. I thought yeah. about old man during this because uh, he likes a bit of Rick Martel. He likes a bit of t- t- Tanker. In fact, I think on our very first episode, he compared to Tanker to a wardrobe. He did. He's, he's not quite a wardrobe in this one. He's more a, uh, a dressing table. <laughs> and Rick Martel's music is very similar to that of the big Valboski. You take a listen to it again. It's very, very similar. I thought um, some, somewhere between that and Rick Rude's. Yeah, much. yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, again, not much more to say other than again. I think I always think of the heel, the model Rick Martel again as being a bigger deal than he was because I had a, a, a trading card and a, a sticker book with him in. Um, so again, there, that's it, Rick Martel. Not, a, not a bad match. Tatanka's an interesting one though because I love Tatanka when he was in in his pomp, but he's not very good. When exactly was his pomp, Tom? I reckon, well, his hair is a bit of a pomp, isn't it, to be fair? But he um, he is there, well, I'd say between between now and the time he left, somewhere in that region, I reckon. When you he, say he, now, you mean WrestleMania 8, not yes, now. Yes, yes, not now. <laughs> no, he's not in his pomp anymore. I saw a photograph of him the other day. He looks dreadful. Um, but he um, they protected him for a long time. He had a long, un, like, undefeated role, like brain until like like late 93 did he lose to ludwig borger i think yeah. i think maybe ludwig borger was the person who defeated him and again he was like presented as not a big deal you know not not a, a headline or anything but a pretty decent upper mid-card wrestler even though i don't think he ever won any titles or anything but i was i always liked a bit of tanker back in the day and the thing yeah i quite used to quite enjoy doing the yee 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 even though i'm sure that's probably all for cultural appropriation and uh, i used to quite like doing the skip they used to do around the playground. Yeah, I don't think it was cultural appropriation because I think Tatanka is legitimately uh, got Native American blood. I meant so, me doing it. Oh, I was going to come on to that, which is that there's no way that was cultural appropriation because goodness knows what the fuck that was. So <laughs> I don't want to do it too loudly because my, my daughter's asleep upstairs and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that second one will probably be the main one, I would imagine. Yeah, um, I lost my falsetto to a cold years ago. <laughs> there's, a, there's a blues song in there somewhere. <laughs> I lost my falsetto to a cold. The, the thing I was going to touch upon there, though, is that I think in Tatanka they were looking to sort of... Because Chief J. Stronger had been quite a big successful act in the 70s. I think they were just looking to sort of recreate that in Tatanka. And I just don't think it really ever took off to the extent that they were hoping for. No. They weirdly brought him back for a bit as well in like 2005. Yeah. For, he came back for, in the Rumble, didn't he? Yeah, he had a bit of a run on SmackDown for a while, which is bizarre. Great music, though. It was good music. Everyone's doing a chop. Lovely stuff. Go on, Tanker. So after this one, we get Sean Moon. Cannot say his fucking name. 
After right. this one, we get Sean Mooney with Jimmy Hart and Money Inc. DiBiase says, you don't write checks that you don't have the cash to cover. And that was about all I managed to catch. Gene Oakland's then with the natural disasters. Or they say they're going to get what's rightfully theirs. Which brings us to the 750th match that this podcast has ever covered. The right. WWF tag team match between the natural disasters and Money Inc., an inauspicious way to spend our 750th match, I've got to be honest. Eight and a half minutes in length it is, and it ends when Typhoon hits a splash, but as Earthquake goes for his Earthquake splash, Jimmy Hart and DiBiase pull IRS out of the ring, and they deliberately get themselves counted out. Matt, you say, say that, Tinky, but in my mind, this is quite a big deal, this match. <laughs> Well, you you go ahead then, Tom. If you're if you're that that <laughs> we're very strange to have the natural disasters as a babyface tag team. Is my overriding thoughts from this match because they're both so massive that you can't realistically ever imagine Ted DiBiase and the great great IRS being able to physically beat them. So it just seemed a, a really strange dynamic during the match, to be honest. Quite like the way it ended, actually, with them both being like, fuck this, and we're off. Let's take the belts and go. But yeah, just a weird dynamic. What I will say about the promo beforehand, I very much liked uh, Typhoon's enthusiasm. He's very, he's very enthusiastic. He's very happy to be there. But it's, yeah, like I said, just a weird, a weird match with a, a heel tag team. You can't really do any damage. I mean, they do work over Typhoon a little bit at some point, but that's kind of about it, really. Very, very odd. I'm not surprised they they ended the match in the manner in which they did, because there's no way that you could really conceive of Money Inc. beating the natural disasters legitimately in any way whatsoever. Now I can't wait to hear what Matt's going to say because this <laughs> seems like the kind of finish which is right down his street. Oh, yeah. Not only was the finish just an absolute pile of shit, but this match was crap. I think it's no secret at this point what, what I think of Earthquake. He, he must be the nice, he may be the nicest guy going, but my God, he's shit. He's just, he's just no good. I just don't remotely enjoy any of his work. You know, this team was boring. I mean, the only thing that I remotely found funny was there was some line that um, Sean Mooney said uh, with Ted DiBiase prior to the match, something about withdrawing from their titles or something like that, which I just thought was funny. But other than that, yeah, the the finish, I was like, why? (laughs) You know, yeah, I mean, it literally was like, oh, fuck this, we're off. And I was like, well, why the did I bother watching in the first place then, if that was the attitude? But uh, nope, big thumbs down, easily worsening on the show. I'm really eager, Matt, to make you acknowledge that Earthquake is much better than Typhoon. That's all I really oh, want yeah, to yes. get out of you. That's all I really want to get out of you, because you obviously noticed Earthquake well when we watched WrestleMania 6 and didn't like what he did. Fine. Now he's out here with Typhoon, and Typhoon is just absolutely dreadful. Like, it's so bad compared to Earthquake. I don't even notice him. Like, well, but maybe he's that bad that I just don't notice him. Maybe. There's a bit where he has to fall out of the ring and can't do it in this match. He's just, it's just atrocious. Earthquake's legitimately not a bad wrestler. He's really not a bad wrestler. Typhoon genuinely is a bad wrestler. I always, I remember even when I was a kid looking, so there's a bit where Earthquake pushes Ted DiBiase into the turnbuckle, I think, and then and then flexes his muscles to show how strong he is. And it's the most underwhelming muscle flex, I think, since I looked at myself doing it in the little screen just then. There's no definition whatsoever. And the thing is, we need to talk about, we, we like to talk about hair quite a lot on this podcast. 
And in terms of a tag team with juxtaposing but equally atrocious hair, we need to talk about the natural disasters because Typhoon has got a glorious mullet. <laughs> and honestly, Earthquake is rocking one of the illest scullets I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Nothing up top, long and luxurious at the back. It's absolutely rancid pair of haircuts from this team. Um, and also, we've previously got quite a lot of hay out of Earthquake's age Yes. Um, at this time. So we did put out a tweet about two years ago. They got like 300 likes or something crazy about Earthquake being 27 at the at the time of a picture that I've that we had. I found a picture of him from at least seven or eight years earlier than that. Oh, and it wow. will go onto our Instagram at some point in the next few days, I'm sure. It's incredible how old he looks. I mean, the poor fucking bloke. Like, I wonder what, like, just like a well-fitted suit and a haircut would do for him. Yeah, maybe just maybe yeah, just a, a, a shave and 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 just shave all his hair as well. Yeah, cause and, is, is, that the, is it the age? It was obviously of the time where beards weren't really a thing, were they? At that, yeah, but at you know what? Stage. I still think even when they are a thing, they still make people look a little old in general. I think beards. Yeah, take my take my beard off and I look like a twelve year old fat girl. <laughs> so, which is which is at heart what you really are, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. So after this match, Gene Oakland is with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He says that he's always been Hogan. He's always seen. <laughs> he's always seen Hogan keep his dignity, and that he's just there to show him that the people are behind him all the way. And he says he's the number one Hulkamaniac, which I thought was a bit of a an insult to all the fans, if I'm honest with you. Like, this is this is so shit. Like, why is this in here? Uh, the only thing that is good about it is that obviously the fact that is it Mean Gene? He said it. He's him. Yeah. The only good thing about it is that it reminds me that someone drove their knees into his face and he couldn't wrestle for years. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing. That's that is very harsh. It's very harsh. As much as I am, I'm, I'm uh, understanding the sentiment, it's still very, very harsh. I mean, think about it. I don't want, I don't want him to die or anything. But my God, he was a fucking awful wrestler. <laughs> so yes, we're going to find out again in the next episode because he returns for WrestleMania Nine. So. Time for match number nine of the night, although eight on the pay-per-view itself. It's Owen Hart versus Skinner. Skinner being played by Steve Kern, who would be one of the future Doink the Clowns. This one, oh, ends, when, this one ends when Owen does a roll-up after skinning the cat to get the pin on Skinner after a minute and a half. Matt? What can we say? It's about a minute. Considering what I have seen from Owen Hart, um, he deserved better than this. Um. Yeah, there was nothing really to it. I mean, skin of the cat was cool. Yeah, it was there was really nothing to this. It was about a minute. Hopefully, the next time we see Owen Hardy, he has a couple of minutes more. Happy days. Tom? Skinner. Pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I remember being in I can't remember, somewhere. I think I'd gone out somewhere. And again, I got a magazine, a WWF magazine. Uh, it must have been on holiday or something, because I didn't get them regularly. So I got a WWF magazine, and there's an entire spread on the Alligator Man. And I was like, oh my God, who's this? Who's this guy? And then I always, ah, no, he's nothing, is he? I didn't even know he was doing, because that's how little I know about him. The favourite thing about Skinner is that uh, our, our friend Forty friend of the show 40 um his he's been into wrestling for a long time and his dad would quite often uh like like dads would do every now and again try and you know try and breach a bit of common ground with their with their son and he would come out with things like 
oh, you know who I like when watching when Wardy was watching wrestling. He'd be like, I quite like that Skinner. That's the name he recognized. That's the name he could remember. So think about that when it comes to when it comes to Big Skinner. This match is really weird because basically Skinner gets all the offense and Owen Hart skins a cat and it's a roll up. Owen Hart doesn't hit an offensive move until after the match, which is when he drop kicks Skinner. It's it's a very bizarre placement. But what a pair of trousers on Owen Hart. <laughs> They're absolutely tremendous. And also great music. In fact, I believe it's the same music that the Heavenly Bodies come out to in that match between them and the Rock and Roll Express at Survivor Series 93. Yeah, so I think what? it probably means that... I still can't tell if Matt was on that. No, I don't think you were about... No, you weren't. Were on it. Like a memory, like a fish. What kind of fish? A goldfish. <laughs> I'll accept it. <laughs> out of interest what wouldn't you have accepted at that point well i don't know i don't know that much about fish memory <laughs> I don't i've done a bit of research track. afterwards you know yeah i'll have you know that catfish have got an outstanding memory <laughs> okay next up um gene oakland oh just to uh, are you not going to give any thoughts about owen versus skinner oh come on it's a minute and a half long who gives a fuck right ah! what, I w- what i was going to say though is that steve king wasn't a regular portrayer of doyton clam uh... Only did on occasion. He does appear at WrestleMania nine. Yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you got to look forward to that. Yeah, and I just have to wait for that. So Gene Oakland is with Sid Vicious and Harvey Whippleman. Sid says, "Shut up, you fat bald-headed <laughs> little oaf," which is by far the best line of the night. It's got to yep. be said. And that is something um, I will always remember because, again, that's something I can remember at the time. Like being like, oh, "God, that's harsh. That's so harsh." <laughs> He says that he is the master and Hogan is but the learner. He promises this will be Hogan's last match. There's then an insert promo, sit down with Vince and Hogan as to whether this is his last match. Hogan says that he is only he's the only one who can make that decision. And right now he doesn't know. But what he will know is when he finishes the match that's when he'll be able to decide. Vince then thanks him for all the memories down the years. We then go back to Sid, who says he doesn't care about Hogan's memories and says he curses Hogan and every Hulkamaniac because he rules the world. Good stuff, this. I like yeah, this. Yeah, I'm a big fan, really, of anything of Sid talking. Yeah, I think his, <laughs> his promo was really good. I liked how overly sincere the vincent hogan promo was like it's really crap but it's so but they're both so like i said so obviously like you know that after the camera shot off they're like ah, you know what i mean like having like it's just ridiculous and vince does the old proper alpha male handshake where it's like on top of his hand he's like thanks for all the memories hulkster <sighs> And then uh, they have a little handshake and then that's it. But it was this point where I was like, Hulk Hogan must be skinny because his mustache is skinny as well. And it's not quite the full, big, thick handlebar. It's a slightly smaller one, which is the weird WCW one that I think of. So there you go. Have that for some analysis. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't quite as jovial between the two of them at this point as i said hogan was being quite self-serving in trying to get out of the way whilst all the steroid stuff was going on leaving vince in the lurch a little bit it wouldn't surprise me if it was a little frosty at this point the relationship between the two maybe i found it fascinating to be honest i i really enjoyed it i i wasn't 100 sure you know if this was uh, hogan's last wrestlemania or not i'm trying to think i was like is it or i can't remember if it was you forgot the match with the rock but never mind well <laughs> well no i mean at the time, I bet, sorry. Yeah, so I remembered the whole Yokozuna future stuff, but yeah. 
so yeah, to hear them talking about, oh yeah, this might be. I mean, I did laugh, you know, when they were saying, oh, this might be my final match, because obviously in hindsight, <laughs> fucking wasn't. Um, but, but to hear all that and to see it is, it, it was almost like you know, again for me, it comes down to like a sort of sporting feel where, you know, again happens in other sports all the time. You know, sometimes the the player person or whatever, you know, will do their final thing before they go and sign with another company or another team or whatever. So. I thought this was, you know, a lot different, especially compared to, you know, previous Hogan stuff we've seen. And, you know, in a way, it was nice to see something a little bit different from that, you know, train, eat your vitamins and I'm going to fucking grab a shark and all that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. I I also think, in fairness, at the time, he did only have, until he came back in 2002, he did only have two more televised matches in WWF. Oh, that's... That's, that's crazy to think now. It really is. Because he left WWF after this, came back in time for WrestleMania 9, had the match at WrestleMania 9, and then had the match at King of the Ring. That was it. So he did have some house show matches during that time, but it was all that, that was all he did TV-wise. So how long was he gone? What year did he leave? And how long was he gone for? So he left at this point for less than a year because he went yeah. came back for WrestleMania 9. Then at King of the Ring 93, he left again and didn't come back. 93 till 2002. So he went to WCW in 94. So that was that was how long he was out. Oh, that is a long time. Mm. So does that mean that prior to his return, he spent more time out of WWF than in it? No, not quite. No? Must no. be near, though. But nine years he was out, was there? Well, again, it depends what you're... <laughs> it really depends, doesn't it? Because are you just talking, if I compare his... WWF run from 80, the end of 83. I'm thinking of him like post Rocky 3. Post Rocky 3, from his run from 83, sort of December, he turned up in WWF 83, through to what I guess June 93, which is about 10 years, just under 10 years. And I guess, yes, yeah, similar. He was in out of WWE, I guess, for, yeah, I guess a similar amount of time, yeah. Yeah, because pre Rocky Three, he's not Hulk Hogan, like not Hulk Hogan as we as well. We know he's not he's not Hulkamania Hogan, no. but he did he was in WWF prior to that as well for a bit. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so before the main event, as I said earlier on, Howard Finkel and Harvey Whippleman play out their usual shenanigans. Um, at this point, Harvey Whippleman is Doctor Harvey Whippleman. I don't know when they transitioned him from not being Dr. Harvey Wolfman to being uh, from being the doctor. Of course, he would eventually go on to be WWF Women's Champion in 1999 as well as Hervina at the time. His name was. I do not remember that. <laughs> Probably for the best that you don't remember it. Apparently at this time, as Dr. Harvey Wolfman, he would get out a stethoscope from his doctor's bag after a match that Sid had had and check the pulse of Sid's, enemy, uh, Sid's opponents, which is an interesting thing I hadn't seen before. This is Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice, the main event of the show, I guess, the last match of the show anyway. 18 and a half minutes long, according to Wikipedia, though it certainly did not feel that long when I was watching. I've got to be honest. The end comes here when Hogan hits the big boot and slams Sid. He then drops the leg, but Sid kicks out at the same time as Harvey Whippleman gets into the ring. Then Hogan grabs Whippleman, throws uh, Whippleman at Sid, uh, but then Papa Shango emerges from the back and attacks Hogan. Shango and Sid have Hogan tied up in the ropes until the Warriors music plays and he runs to the ring and makes the save. Hogan is then announced as the winner by disqualification. And after the match, Warrior raises Hogan's hand. They shake hands and then they do Hogan's poses together to end the show. Tom, why don't we start with you? This is weird. 
this match. So I actually think that Sid's really good in this match. I think Hogan does a very good job at selling for Sid as well, especially considering that as we kind of discussed earlier, Hogan's not as big as he has been in the past. So Sid does genuinely look like a bit of a monster compared to Hogan. First things first, going back to my action figure comparison, like I did with Roddy Piper earlier, I always find it annoying that Hogan came out with the t-shirt on with the american flag on it rather than the hulk rules one uh, which again i think i think i reckon that the hulk rules t-shirt was probably a bigger deal than it actually was because it was on the t-shirt on the on the figure was so, the was the american flag t-shirt though not on another Hogan figure it may I'm have pretty been, sure it was it may have been on the the, the one that hulk goes one. like that yeah, yeah the, bear the bear hulk, hulk one yeah, one, yeah. um but either way, but that wasn't as common as the Gorilla Press Stamp Hogan. You saw the Gorilla Press Stamp Hogan everywhere. Everyone had it. It was you can you can walk down the road without seeing a Gorilla Press Stamp Hulk Hogan back in ninety three, <laughs> ninety two, ninety three. Um, but the the match in itself is fine. It's kind of your standard Hogan very gets pummeled by Sid and then wins. But there's obviously a fuck up, and apparently Papa Shango didn't get his cue right. Yeah. So that's why it's really weird that. Sid kicks out, then Harvey Whipperman gets up on the apron, and then there's like a weird disqualification, and then Pabashanga comes down, and then the Warrior makes the save. It's all just a bit messy. I mean, the crowd, even though we're kind of in the dying embers of, of Hulkamania, the crowd in the Hoosier Dome are still so up for Hulk Hogan at this time. It's ridiculous. They're hot through the entire match. And what I will say as well, is the pop when Warrior's music goes is something else altogether. They, they, the crowd go mad. But what is really unusual to see is that they do they're doing like the, the dueling poses, but they both kind of stood around the ring without really knowing what to do. Like I find that really strange. So like it's almost like Hogan's kind of waiting for the sorry, it looks like Warriors keep waiting for the cue from Hogan, but doesn't yeah, like I said, doesn't know what, what he's supposed to do. And it's not until Hogan's like right we're gonna pose this way you're gonna pose this way but even then warrior seems in a complete world of his own and doesn't really know what to do he also doesn't know what to do when the tempo changes between his music and hulk hogan's because he just does again he's like i'm he must be so used to shaking the ropes and all all of his actions in motion with in time with his music that when hogan's comes on he just starts having like a little dance in the ring which is which is very very unusual to see i don't think this match was bad but the the missed timed ending and the clear fuck up at the end did take a little bit of it away from me i quite enjoyed this one and for me it did feel it felt watching it like at the time this probably was hogan's last match now again we know it wasn't but and i felt that perhaps maybe some of the crowd knew that it it almost felt like it was it was watching hogan try to win his sort of last hurrah type thing. At least that, that's how it certainly felt to me. And that played into it a lot for me. That The one thing that I did really like is that I, I think the uh, the auto-cue guy, uh, you know, we're whole, uh, sorting out the music messed up a little bit at the start when he didn't turn off uh, Hogan's music for a while. And Hogan was beaten up saying, well, the real American theme just kept playing. That needs to be done more often. Like, I could quite happily listen to seeing Hogan beat the shit out of Sid with the theme song just keep going. That was so great. Absolutely love that. It was definitely noticeable, like you said, that, that Sid was massive. I used 
towering over Hogan. Part of the match um, did sort of remind me a little bit of Hogan and Warrior and some of the stuff in it, which was really cool because I did particularly enjoy that one. I was absolutely amazed to see Hulk Hogan go up for a choke slam by Sid. The fact that he actually took that bum, I thought, that actually impressed the crap out of me because I didn't think he'd remotely do that. So, you know, don't get me wrong, it's not as if he you know, got ridiculously high in the air, but he took it and I, I thought that was pretty cool. Sid did hit what I have put down as the the safest power bomb I think I've ever seen. Hmm. I mean, he, he called it a power bomb. He, he just placed him gently onto the mat, pretty much. The finish was a little bit chaotic. I mean, it was it was okay. I mean, I, I can't say I liked it that much because I mean. I would have liked to have seen, you know, Harvey Whitman actually, you know, maybe hit Hogan or something before, you know, they, they go for the DQ or whatever. It's cause he pretty much just came in and they were all of a sudden sort of calling for the finish. So I, I would have liked to him to have maybe, you know, attacked him or something like that, just to, to hammer the point home. I, I, I didn't get Papa Shango coming out. I was like, OK, that's to me felt slightly random. But, you know, I absolutely agree with you, Tom, in that when Ultimate Warrior came out, I mean, Christ, that the the pop was absolutely, and to the point of I actually got goosebumps. I was like, bloody hell, that's pretty cool. So that, that would have been something that would have been cool to have been there for live. And yeah, you know, to to see them both sort of posing at the end was interesting. And it, it, at the time, it, it felt like hmm, maybe this might have been you know Hogan's last match for a while. So it it was good. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it, and I've, I've quite enjoyed a lot of Hogan stuff. I got to be honest, I didn't like it. I didn't like the match. I thought it was a bit bit of a nothing to me. I'm not really that impressed in general. It was okay. I, you know, I, I think Sid, this is the thing, I think Sid looks looks impressive. Sid looks like a specimen. Then he does stuff, and I just think it's just not very good. It's not believable. It doesn't make it, doesn't back it up in any way. He looks great. His character's fantastic, but he just cannot wrestle. And I think also Hogan is, is kind of phoning in by this point. He's sort of, he's had enough. He's He's got to the end of the run. He knows that the the boom period is over and he knows that actually it's in his best interest to be away from this thing. And that's exactly what happens here. That's all I really need to say about the match. What I will say about overall is that I've had a look at cage matches, timings of these matches, and they are dramatically different all the way through. Wikipedia seems to have put at least seven or eight minutes onto a lot of different <laughs> matches. So for example, um, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper on the Wikipedia page is 18 minutes, nearly 19 minutes. On um, cage matches, 14 minutes. Um, the World Heavyweight title match is 25 minutes on Wikipedia, 18 on cage match. Which I wonder if they're going like video package to, you know, video package, maybe. you know, like start of the Don't know. segment. Seems ridiculous yeah. anyway, whatever they're doing on Wikipedia, because these cage match timings feel much more realistic to me. Yeah. This match on Wikipedia's list is 18 and a half minutes on cage match is 12 minutes and a half. So, that which again, feels realistic. much more realistic to me. Yeah, I, I didn't, I just wasn't, I wasn't that big on it at all. I thought that um, it just didn't feel like much of anything. And I, I've never really enjoyed this match and it it's at the lower end of the Hogan matches for me which doesn't say a lot for it ultimately really the thing that I also thought about is that can remember there was a big theory that the ultimate warrior wasn't Jim yeah. Helwig because yeah. he'd lost a little bit of weight and got a mum a mum bun done well, not a mum bun and what do you call it a bob a bob he had a little bob didn't he rather than this long luxurious mullet from previous years um yeah and he'd, he'd lost some muscle mass because again trying to avoid the steroids like yeah. Hogan. And obviously uh, puts in the same bracket as Paul McCartney and Avril Lavigne. 
<laughs> I didn't know Avril Lavigne was on that list. But... There, there, there is there is a rumor that Avril Lavigne died in like or was killed in two early two thousands and was replaced by a doppelganger. Wow, yeah. amazing! Why are they going to have to make it so complicated? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That is that is that is absolutely premium content right there we should be we should be we should be charging for this stuff. <laughs> yes. that's just so good but mind you i don't know why we've got paul mccartney on that list paul mccartney did die in 1965 everyone <laughs> knows it tom all right yeah okay fine fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. so that brings us to the end of the show today wrestlemania 8 in the bag lovely very happy with that now it's time to give your overall thoughts your score out of 10 and any missing odds and ends that you might have let's start with you tom so my MVP is Matchman's Leg. My yeah. match of the night is Brett versus Piper. And my score, it's a tough one because I actually quite enjoyed most of this. So I think I'm going to give it a six. But that would then mean that it is technically the same score as WrestleMania 5 because it would have the bump. But it doesn't get a bump because it's out of the golden era. So I'm going to give this a five because it's not as good as WrestleMania 5. So yeah, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a five because it's not as good as five. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Um, whew, okay, so my MVP of the night is going to be the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, followed by my match of the night again is going to be Ric Flair versus Randy Savage. Ric Flair was definitely the man of the show for me. Oh, as far as my score goes, I terrible that I can never remember what I gave previous. Would you show. like me to refresh your memory? Yes, please. If you have the numbers there, that'd be great. So WrestleMania like, one. Of given. WrestleMania one and two was zero. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania 3 was 4. Yeah. WrestleMania 5, you gave a 5. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania 6, you gave a 4. Oh, my God. I was about to be extremely generous then. <laughs> oh, hello. 12. That was my score. <laughs> do, oh, do you know what? In fact, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and be really generous. I really like this show. I'm giving it a 7. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Well, my rating is a 6 because I actually thought that had the main event been really good or good uh i would have given it a seven myself i thought this was a good show i think that the bret hart roddy Piper match was excellent flair versus savage was more than decent i enjoyed the opener quite a lot actually and i also like the undertaker jake roberts thing i thought all of that was pretty good now, there was a lot of nonsense uh, other than that <laughs> some of the other matches were not so good but they were also less important. They weren't such a big deal as those matches that I've just listed. So it didn't matter so much. It just got dragged down a little bit by the main event, which I didn't think was really up to much. So it comes out with an average rating of six, which I'm just going to see if I can top that up very quickly and find out where that sits in the league table as a consequence of all of that. Um, my reasoning for the other thing I think about this show before we get to that is that it is the transitional year. Of, of WrestleMania and WWE is going through that transition by the end of this year. Well, by the end of by, by WrestleMania nine, so much of the people that are on this on this show are not with the company anymore. So, like, for example, Roberts goes and straight after the show. Piper doesn't wrestle again until 1994, I don't think, for the WWF. Bossman is gone by the following year. Um, Jim Duggan has been written out through an injury angle with Yokozuna by the following year. Sergeant Slaughter has moved upstairs into the, the office by the follow by shortly after this show in fact the repo man is basically not doing anything and has gone shortly after wrestlemania 9 i think savage has been consigned to the commentary desk rick flair is back in wcw rick martell's not really doing an awful lot the natural disasters i don't think are there anymore skinner is not a thing anymore oh, uh, they, sid, lost, they lost a couple of real big deals <laughs> <laughs> sid 
Sid leaves the company not long after this, having lost to The Undertaker and having lost to The Ultimate Warrior a couple of times after WrestleMania. There's lots of people who get moved on from this roster, and those are a lot of them are the ones who've been around for a long time. This is why I was talking about WrestleMania 4 to 7 feeling like a group of WrestleManias because they've got a similar cast and a similar feel, long shows with 15 matches on all of them. This is the first one that kind of starts to move away from that and starts to introduce this new roster Bret Hart Undertaker Shawn Michaels being the main focus but along with Tatanka who for the next few years would be around Owen Hart comes in as well at this point some of the sort of fixtures of the roster for the next five years are sort of established here at WrestleMania 8 but it doesn't really get to that point until next year and the year after it's, it's so for that perspective it's a fascinating show it's not a bad show either I don't think it's better than I thought it was going to be six out of ten I'm happy with that so in terms of the league table, that now brings WrestleMania 8 up to second of the ones we've covered so far. So it's WrestleMania 3, or a 6.3 average rating from us, then 6 for WrestleMania 8. Then it's WrestleMania 5, with also with a 6, but WrestleMania 8 actually got a higher cage match rating, which is the tiebreak for these shows I've given it. WrestleMania 7 was a 5.33, so was WrestleMania 6. WrestleMania 1 was a 4 WrestleMania 4, 3.67, and WrestleMania 2, which I'm sure will not be beaten, although it will get tested the next couple of shows. So uh, do, do you not include the ones that we haven't done in this run yet? So we've obviously done 19 and 26 already. Obviously, I've got them here, but I'm not including them yet. Fair enough. One other quick question. I much, I've thought about this in the past. How much shampoo do you think Ric Flair has to use to get that blood out of his hair? <laughs> do you think he uses Timothy? <laughs> Lovely stuff. I'm going to leave it on that note. For those that's gone over the head of you, you're missing out. You're just missing out. That's all I can say. Most underrated comedy in the history of the world. Yes, it's gone over Matt's head. It's uh, clear there. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. It's the end of the show. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Cheers, mate. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone who's still wishing that sort of thing. I'm off to uh, the travel agents to buy some flights to Cocoa Beach, Florida. (laughs) And Matt, thank you for your contributions as well. Pleasure as always, guys. And to those who've broken your New Year's resolutions already, ha, 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 ha. What was that? Just felt like doing it. (laughs) What was the ha about? What was that nonsense? <laughs> like, just felt right. Oh, that was that was cringe. Of all the things you've called cringe, <laughs> that was properly cringe. Ha, 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 ha. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with WrestleMania 9 from Caesar's Palace. Until then, take care. It's-